Welcome to Marvel News, presented by SuperheroNews.com. My name is Sean Gerber, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Paul Herman. How's it going, Paul? It is, uh, oh man, it's been, it's been quite a weekend. It's been a lot. I, it's, been a, it's been a lot going on. I have a lot to talk about. Let's get right into it. Sean, introduce our other fabulous guest, please. Of course. So uh, this being a roundtable review edition of the show, because we have a brand new Marvel movie this weekend, as you know, Captain America Civil War, it's time to bring in the roundtable crew, and that includes Katie Sullivan. Katie, welcome back. Yay, thanks for having me. How are you guys? We are well. Thanks for uh, jumping back in with us. And of course, the uh, we're... we're Blessed by royalty uh, in our presence on this show, the King of Cranes himself, if you know your modern myth media podcast history, Chris Clow has returned, crowned firmly upon his dome. Chris, welcome back. I prefer my liege. But, uh, <laughs> this is this is a total. But I've never actually been on this show before, so thank you for having me. You have, yeah, yeah, yeah you have. You was this here, one still going on? Yep, you were here for Age of Ultron last year, back when it was called Making Mind Marvel, but it's still this show. Oh, it's still the, okay, it's so it's still, just a, it's yeah. a new volume, so you yeah. guys are very much following the Marvel formula. And oh, absolutely, new, 100%. Yearly. We're going to retitle this show about every six weeks from now on. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Think, all new, all different, sort of the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so uh, Beautiful. as I said at the very top of the show, uh, this is our roundtable review episode for Captain America Civil War. And this is a spoiler show. It is intended for those who have seen the film. So I'm not really going to mess around with, you know, a non-spoiler section or whatever, because I'm pretty sure if you listen to this show, you have already seen the movie by now. Um, but if you haven't and you don't wish to be spoiled, uh, please stop the show now and then come back and listen to it later. Or if you haven't seen it and don't care about being spoiled, that's fine. But at least you've been warned and I don't have to feel bad about it. So uh, we will go into some opening thoughts. And since, Paul, you were normally I would go ladies first, but you had to go and get all ominous before we started recording, Paul. <laughs> so I, I can't I'm not patient enough to be, you know, as polite as I should be. So, Paul, what's up? What do you get? Fire your opening shots with Civil War. All right. All right. All right. So what's the hot take? Uh, uh, the hot take is this. This is it. This is it. So I left the theater. And there's only one sound that I could hear when I left. <laughs> we are the champions, my friends. Yes, yes. The whole time, that's all I could. That's all I could hear is that we, being Marvel, were the champions. Because it was so amazing when I left that theater. That's all I could think about, and it was just. I, I was smiling ear to ear because it was incredible. Um, there's a lot. There's a, so much to dig into with this movie. And I know I try to be on, on, you know, very, very coy online for these things. I want the podcast to be special. You know, I want people to really hear how I feel and think because stuff can get lost in words. Right. So the thing with Civil War Typically, only that, if you use the wrong words. But yeah, go ahead. Well, but, no, but people, because people might, you know, people will, you know, assume your tone. I is know, I know, I know. You know, I just don't want people to think like I'm like doing backflips all the time for every little thing, or because some things I'm really excited about, and other things I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But you know, whatever. We'll get into those. But for the most part, I think Civil War is incredible. 
and I know there's a, it's 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 very like every superhero movie is like it seems like this is the best or this is the best one and and this just blew me away by by so many different things. There's so much rich things to talk about in this film. I mean, this could be easily it won't be, but it could easily be like a three hour podcast just talking about. And the details of harkening back to the comics or, you know, what it means for the MCU, you know, universe, MCU universe going forward, backward, whatever. I mean, there's so much rich stuff in here. It's it's incredible. So I I'll just say this. I, I loved it and everything, almost pretty much everything about it. OK, with that out of the way, Katie, what did you think of Civil War? I also loved it, but I feel like there's. A couple days later, and I've actually seen it twice now, I was a little worried since you guys all saw it before me that I want to get to see it. I think I actually am starting to find a few things wrong with it. Maybe. It might be the only one. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But I'm really excited for the future of the Marvel Universe. Like, I'm most excited, I think, for what it sets up next. Very cool. And Chris, what would you think? Same thing I wrote in my review at movies.com, which you can read right now. It's spoiler free, just Excellent in case book. you haven't uh, haven't checked it out yet. But it's a comic book crossover come to life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Paul and I had a little bit of a sticking point in our phone <laughs> conversation the other day about this, but I actually think that it's kind of erroneously titled because while there is a bit of a focus on some specific Captain America supporting characters. When you read an ongoing issue of any series with a specific character, you get a very good sense of the individual nature of that series. So you read an issue of Captain America, you know, it's a, it's very much tied to him and his supporting cast, just like you read an issue of Iron Man or Spider-Man or Hawkeye or whatever it might be. It's, it's that character's series, and it should be. And then you read a book like The Avengers, an ongoing book for The Avengers, focuses specifically, at least in most cases, on the dynamic of the team within the team and how they approach a certain problem. Then you have the summer crossover events that throw everything into the pot and usually throw a grenade in as well right before they put the the lid for the pot on top of it. That's what Civil War felt like to me. It felt much more like a summer crossover in comics as opposed to the next issue of Captain America or the next issue of even the Avengers. It felt like everything up until this point has been building here, even though it hasn't. It's that summer event that kind of throws you for a loop in a good way. So in that respect, I mean, going back to the beginning of the crossover phenomenon with Secret Wars in 1984, up through the series that this uh, movie takes its name from, I mean, it feels like, it's on another level, much closer of a tie to what I imagine Infinity War to be as as opposed to what the last couple of Avengers movies have been. So while I'm probably more likely to say that I think The Winter Soldier is still the best Captain America solo movie, as far as crossover films for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Civil War is easily on top for me. Call it whatever you want. Title what title it whatever you want. the uh, The title of my review was Captain America: Civil War is the best superhero movie ever. And yes, that includes all of them, even that one. Um, I think that I think this is as good as it's ever been, and I think this is a brand new standard that I, I feel bad for even the rest of the Marvel films that have to come out after this because I 
when I saw that movie the first time <clears throat> four weeks ago, uh, <laughs> when yeah, I saw it, rub it in. Uh, and I'm, I've now seen it a total of four times. Like, I, I don't know every once in a while, like you get, you know, the bar gets raised. And I feel like that happened with Captain America Civil War, because I think just thinking about the structure of a superhero movie and everything that goes into it. And I think Civil War delivers on everything. It has really heavy, uh, heavy themes and it pays off. It pays off on all of those things. Uh, it is emotionally compelling. And at the same time, it has big blockbuster action spectacle, like all the things that I love about reading comic books, all the things that kept me reading comic books, even when like it wasn't cool to read comic books uh, past the age of like eight, all of those things <laughs> that kept me from being, you know, that, kept me a comic book fan and a superhero fan from you know from the eight you know from age eight all the way to now like you know 32 like it's everything in there is you know civil war touches on it so i i absolutely loved it i, I couldn't believe how well they had done it what struck me the most is just how incredibly well balanced the movie mm -hmm. is and that you know and this just shows that you can have you can have serious things happen in a movie and you can feel the weight of every single one of those things but that doesn't mean that you have to just, you know, beat those things over and over into people's heads. Like you can still do that and you can have some fun. You're able to go back and forth. And when you have the highs and lows, that's what makes all of those things feel that much more intense. You know, if you're down the whole time, then when some when some of the really heavy stuff happens in Civil War, if that's how you felt. But if you were feeling like crap the entire movie, then, you know, when the really devastating stuff happens at the end, it's not as much of a change. But when you feel really happy and really confident about certain things at one point in time. And then all of a sudden next thing, you know, another shoe drops and then it takes you all the way down to, you know, it takes you down to another emotional low. It's just all those peaks and valleys, that roller coaster that this movie goes on. It's amazing, you know, cause to me it is kind of the, you know, to your point, Chris, about it being a crossover to me, it was a lot of the, you know, the, uh, the seriousness of Captain America, the winter soldier, which I think still remains Marvel's most, serious film i don't you know which i yeah. i hate mm -hmm. describing it that way but i'm not smart enough to think of a better word at this point in time so <laughs> it's the most serious straightforward earnest marvel studios film and then you have the ultimate party spectacle film in the avengers and like this to me is the marriage between the two so your point about it being a crossover series is actually pretty valid because and i think that's why you get the flavor of all of them so i i can totally understand what you're saying in that it may not, if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of being a cap film, maybe it's not the best pure cap film, but overall, in terms of superhero movies, uh, this one had everything for me. So I am a huge, 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 huge fan of it. I can't wait to uh, get into it more and, and really talk about the details of it because, and you know, the first thing that I'll throw out, what I think was the, the greatest success of this entire movie is why they were fighting uh, i mm -hmm. think is the part that really mm -hmm. stood out to me right from the get-go because you know the issue in civil war like it i mean and they, it's not that different from the comic book it really isn't like it starts off with you know it's obviously not you know a bunch of idiots making a reality television show but it is you know you have the incident in lagos which by the way incredible action sequence in that um, but then you have this valid issue that, that builds on everything that's happened in the MCU and to this point, and this idea of government oversight of the Avengers. And of course, everybody has valid reasons for why they're divided. And you get what's so great about it, and this is a credit to Marcus and uh, Chris Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who wrote it, 
everybody gets to say why they do or don't care about the accords or why they are why they're for the accords or why they're against the accords and i think that's one of the the true successes of it is because everybody has a valid point of view nobody's really wrong it's just a matter of mm-hmm. like which side you you tend to agree with but there's no nobody has to make like a really dark turn in this everybody just has it you know, it makes it that much more engaging as an audience member, and even that much more. Uh, it's actually sad too when you're not, you know, when you're not wanting these heroes to fight and to come into conflict. Is when you know, on some on so many levels, this is unavoidable because everybody has a valid point of view that they're bringing to this, but they're just so different on such a hot issue um, that they can't, you know, it can't help but bring them into conflict. And as Vision teases, you know, that at uh, at times it's catastrophic. I think that one of the things that the Sokovia Accords does for everyone is, and like you said, Sean, it makes everyone's point valid and there's no right or wrong, you know, honestly, in my opinion, right or wrong, you know, idea or opinion, it really is, it's your opinion. I think both, both have valid ideas. The Mm -hmm. one difference in the comic book that's different is that in my opinion, in the comic book, they make Tony Stark more of the asshole. You know, oh, like absolutely. absolutely. And like when he enlists like the Thunderbolts and the bad guys, that's when, you know, he loses sight of what of what's going on. What I love about this movie, though, is it doesn't do that. It literally puts I think what I love about Captain America, his loyalty to what he believes in, mm-hmm. to what he'll fight for his his loyalty to his friends, his love for his friends outshines fighting for, you know, like this for another person's ideal or whatever. And I think whether you you can agree and disagree with it all you want, I love the fact that that's always been Cap's idea since the beginning. Like, since I have been reading comic books. I mean, not just in Civil War, but you're given examples like when he has rejected the shield multiple times in, you know, the Marvel continuity of the comic books, you know, you have him become nomad. And one of my favorite Captain America stories is um, when he becomes the captain. When literally the government tells him, you are, we own you because we own the trademark and the, and the shield of Captain America. You have to do what we tell you. And he said, no, I don't. And he just simply walked away, which essentially is what he did in the same thing in this movie. And I just, it's so amazing to see the, the, the continuation and the continuity of Steve, the, who I love about Captain America slash Steve Rogers be just kept in this film. And this is where I, I argued with Chris about it. You know, I don't argue with the fact that it's not a crossover because it is. And I told Chris when we were talking last Friday on the phone, I said to him, I said that this reminds me a lot of like a comic book back in, in the 90s when you would have people in the Avengers show up in Cap's book. Well, the, it might not be a crossover. They might just show up because Cap obviously was a leader and he always had random Avengers showing up here and there. And what's amazing is that Cap has always maintained like his same ideal and and never wa- and never wavers. So I don't know. For, for me, this film felt very much like a classic Cap comic book with a supporting cast that has all these different characters, but it still felt like Cap's movie. And that's what. And even though you had Iron Man on the other end, and he was. I mean, essentially, he was the villain. When you get to the villain, in the, the other villain in a second, but the main antagonist is still Tony. And but it's not 
it's just the way they play it off. It's you're not like you don't hate either one. You feel sorry for the whole the whole situation, and that's what you and that's what I think is so good about Civil War is that it never wavers from making you commit to a side. It makes you just feel sorry for the sides for both of them and the fact they're fighting, especially at the very end. So. For me, I, 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 everything you said was spot on. I just want to emphasize that Captain America has been consistent through this whole MCU and mainly through the 616 universe. I'm not sure if it's 616 anymore after Secret Wars 3, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't. I can't really speak much for the Ultimates because that's, you know, I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't a reader, big reader of the Ultimates uh, series. But Less said, the better. Well, irregardless, <laughs> I, I just, just saying that the fact that Captain America has stayed consistent, I think, has been really amazing. And I've seen some people say that Cap isn't is like arrogant in this, or he's, I don't know. I never looked no, at him, looked at him I don't as think arrogant. That, no, he's not. I mean, I mean, I know uh, Rhodey says that's dangerously arrogant about one of the arguments that he makes, but this is where you know the long form storytelling of the MCU has come to fruition. Like we, if you've been watching these movies, you understand wh- why Cap is this way. Like, yes, he started out as a rank-and-file soldier and could not wait to just join the military. Um, he would lie on his enlistment forms. He was doing whatever he could to, you know, try and fight for his country. And, and yes, that obviously included joining the military. So it's weird to see Cap now at this point being somebody who's anti-government oversight. But there's a reason for that. Like the the seed of doubt gets planted him in the very first Avengers movie, when uh, Banner and Tony tell him, you know, you don't believe, you know, you just think Shield is, you know, you you think that Shield's not doing anything that they shouldn't be doing, and you know, and Tony's running his hacking program. Well, Steve goes off and investigates on himself and finds the Phase Two weapons uh, that the Tesseract is being used to power, um, and then obviously he finds out in Captain America: The Winter Soldier that. Even before, and it's not just the Hydra thing. Like even before that, there's that moment with him and Nick Fury when Fury is showing him all the helicarriers and saying, you know, you're holding a gun to everyone on Earth and calling it freedom. Like this isn't freedom, this is fear. And so you see him losing, you know, the ideals that he that the country used to represent. He doesn't feel like, you know, he agreed with those ideals back when uh, it was 1945. But you know, when he woke up 70 years later. It's not quite the same thing. And, you know, he realizes that the ideals that he stands for, like, he's still consistent. It's what, what he sees is that the government, you know, the government and everybody else, a lot of that stuff has changed. Um, and that's why, you know, so, and that's why he's at this point now where he kind of has to reject that. If you just went through what he went through in, uh, in Winter Soldier, you wouldn't necessarily be signing up. You personally probably may not feel like government oversight is absolutely the right thing to do right at this second um and as and he points out because it's ultimately these things get run by politicians and they have agendas and it's not you know it's not this completely objective body that can be overseeing it yes the idea of oversight is good but you have to trust the people in charge of that oversight and right now steve knows that any group of human beings is subject to being corrupted because that's what happened with shield so you 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 can completely understand why Steve feels the way he does, and it's not arrogance; it's experience. And one of the situations in the comics that is kind of interchangeable, the core of the conflict does ultimately come down to simple political disagreement. You know, mm-hmm. in 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 the original story, when the attack, or rather the accident in Stamford took place, 
no one disagreed on the fact that something should be done. Right. It was always a disagreement on how things should be done. They've tweaked it a little bit for the movie, but at the end of the day, the the core of the disagreement still stays the same because, and, you know, Mark Wade said something that seems applicable to this, and in what he was talking about was uh, other characters, but it's just as applicable to this. All of the heroes at the end of the day ultimately want the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put... You put Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow and Spider-Man all together. They want to protect the world. You know, you put all the villains in in the same room together and they're going to want totally different things. But because they all want the same thing, it's just different ideas of how to get there. And that was one of the things that I really wanted the movie to do before I saw it. In fact, I wrote an article at the beginning of the year called uh, New Year's Resolutions for Every 2016 Superhero Movie. And the one that I had specifically laid out for Civil War was to make the conflict relatable on both sides. Because, Mm -hmm. very much to Paul's point, the series that this movie takes its title from failed to do that. You know, you whether you're reading the tie-ins or whether you're reading the main series, there was always this point of deviation that made people not really root for Tony. Right. And, uh, And that was a big mistake on the part of the original series. And the movie... You know, it couldn't do the same thing, especially considering how popular Iron Man is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you needed to make it relatable, and they did. I was very happy to see that it was not so cut and dry. The Each one's position was probably sort of cut and dry, but there was no point in the movie where I found myself thinking that one character had a greater point than another one did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the root of a lot of these disagreements. You know, there's a lot of discussion around the country and world right now about uh, the right way to uh, proceed and participate in civil discourse. We all want something better, but we all have vast disagreements on how to get there. It comes—excuse me, it comes down to the specifics, just like this did— so, I mean, hopefully we're all not going to take up arms against each other like they did in this movie. But yeah. at the same time, this movie does feel more timely because of that. You know, mm-hmm. the specific disagreements that they have that ultimately makes them come to blows are understandable. And they needed to do that if they wanted to give credence to any reason why these characters that we've gotten to know so well over the last several movies why are they fighting? You know, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting question. You, you, if if someone who's not into these movies looks at these previews and asks, why are all the superheroes fighting this year? You know, you yeah. need to have the movie answer that appropriately, and I really do feel like this one did. I agree. What do you think about the conflict, Katie? I like that, as you guys were saying, that it's everybody has their own reason, but I like that the reason all kind of comes from like a guilt-based reasoning like everybody almost feels guilty for things that have happened in the past Mm -hmm. and I think everybody's looking the way they're reacting to the guilt they feel or that sometimes people are making them feel guilty for right like we have the secretary kind of like pointing out all of their mistakes yeah shaming them (laughs) right (laughs) and and of course like some of them are you know okay wait so then somebody should be keeping us in check and I like that that's pretty much what what it boils down to. They all have different reactions to almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then, as Paul was saying, I completely agree that it's so nice to see Captain America 
hold the same ideals throughout. Right. And like his just feels the strongest, I think. Like the way he comes across and what he stands for has been so consistent in all of these movies that it just sets up this. Like it makes sense in the way he argues and what he's saying. It all is stuff that he's been saying now for three movies or four, you know, if you wanted to stay with the Captain America movies. And I just, I really like the way they did it because if they hadn't given a reason for everybody in the movie, I think it could have fallen apart very quickly given the number of people associated with it. So I'm glad that it felt that way. Yeah. And I think what's cool, it's a great point about Steve being so consistent because um, Tony Stark has not been as consistent. And I think that's what I love about it is that ever since the first Iron Man, like the idea for Tony Stark, this path that he's been on, it's been all about responsibility and accountability. First, it was finding out um, that the company, that the weapons his company manufactured were being used uh, to harm by being used by terrorists to harm innocent people, and you know, so ever since then he's been on this path of trying to be more responsible, but he he doesn't know what that is. As opposed to Cap, who's very resolute in what he's doing and what he believes, Tony knows what he wants in the end, but he still is trying to figure out what that looks like, and he spent a lot of his time trying to do it himself you know just if he could just fix it if he could go be iron man and and stop terrorists and save ba- you know uh, stop bad guys and save uh you know save innocent people that he was going to be he was fine but then we've seen him slowly kind of learn it's been there's just been different stages like lear- uh, learning that he has to sometimes you can't just you can't always cut the wire sometimes there's not a way out sometimes you just have to lay down the wire which he does at the end of the first avengers film uh, he survives that but you know, that already kind of changed him. But then you fast forward to Age of Ultron, and when he has that vision from Scarlet Witch, he sees, what you see from Tony is like, it's still that idea of responsibility. If he doesn't do enough, that it's going to be his fault when things ultimately go bad for the Avengers and go bad for all of Earth. And he tries to fix that with Ultron. And, you know, and and again, it's, it's really, it's a seat of doubt for Tony, really, because... You know, he doesn't believe that he is enough. He doesn't believe the Avengers are enough. He has to try and create something that he feels will be better than himself, better than all of the Avengers when it comes to protecting the Earth. And, of course, it goes terribly wrong. And so now you see him in Civil War, where now he just he's finally accepted that he can't trust his own judgment, that he will make, even though he's trying to do the right thing and he's desperate to do the right thing and be a responsible, accountable person, that he will make a bad decision. And now he's wanting to, he feels like he needs to be put in check and it gets thrown right in his face. And that great scene with Alfred Woodward's character, who's, they didn't name her uh, Miriam Sharp, but her name is Miriam in the credits. So like that's, you know, again, very similar to, uh, you know, an inspiration from the comic book. And, you know, Miriam Sharp was, of course, the one who was guilt tripping Tony left and right and was one of the spit on his face. Yes. Yeah. Among other things. So, like, I mean, that's that's really where the foresight comes into play, uh, because even though nothing had really hit the fan in Age of Ultron by the time he did have that vision, Mm -hmm. that's sort of when his guilt started to take shape. Yeah. Even though nothing had really happened yet. And then it's really it's it's really kind of an inspired choice to use Age of Ultron and um, the incident in the first action scene of this film is sort of the movie's own Stamford, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because this, I, I mean, I was definitely getting flashbacks to those few pages in, in Civil War number one 
when Tony was walking out of the funeral. Mm-hmm. But the, and he but, got spit in his face. But, but what I liked about it, though, is just, you know, it, it really is everything being earned. Just like with Steve Rogers, all of this is earned with these characters. So that, that way, when Tony feels the way that he does, even though it puts him in conflict with the hero whose name is in the title of this film, Tony doesn't go full-blown antagonist, which, as as Chris and Paula pointed out, is really kind of more of the direction it goes in the comic book. And I like that Tony here, like everything that he does is completely relatable. And you see the, there's an emotional validity to all of it. And you see Tony just trying to do something better and everybody else kind of approaches it along similar lines, but they, there are differences like for, for vision. He just sees it as, you know, him being the AI, he's just there. He looks at it as just straight probability. Like because of this, there's a causality. It's obvious that this is something that can happen. So we need to, yeah, we we you know we can't dismiss the idea of oversight. Uh, for Rhodey, he you know in his speech when he's talking about it, he's you know he's crediting General Ross or I'm sorry, now it's Secretary Ross for his Medal of Honor. Like he, Rhodey obviously understands the idea of government oversight. He's been active duty military the entire time that we have known him in this uh, film series. Um, but Black Widow was was an interesting one because Black Widow was probably the character who joined you know when she obviously i know you know thinks she doesn't necessarily stay loyal to team iron man the whole time but when she first goes that direction that's the character that maybe is the biggest departure from where you would have thought she would go um you know just because of the relationship that she had with cap in the winter soldier you would expect her to continue on with that but i really like that and they even call it out like sam wilson calls her out on hey like just a few years ago weren't you on capitol hill telling everybody to go f themselves and that we were just in that like they you need us so you don't get to arrest us or anything and her viewpoint changes because she sees you know again incident after incident all these things boil up and she says that she's reading the terrain it's not even so much that she feels like that she necessarily agrees with the idea of oversight entirely or thinks that that steve is wrong she just feels like this idea of control for uh, for the Avengers, it's going to be wrestled away from them whether they like it or not, And which is why she says at least we can keep one hand on the wheel. If we agree to this, at least we're still in the game and we can figure out how best to operate within these new constraints and, and try and work that out. And of course, Steve is not going to be compromising. And Sam just does what Steve does, only slower, as he told Nick Fury in uh, in The Winter Soldier. So everybody has, you know, everybody has their reasons for doing the things that they do. And then the characters who are not as involved in that central conflict, like obviously Scott Lang has not been part of this, so he gets brought in and he wants to be, you know, he's clearly all too happy to be a member of Team Cap and just thrilled that they thought of him. Uh, but you know, Spider Man has again a different, inv- it's a different kind of investment for him. And then even T'Challa as Black Panther, who I think is like the hidden gem of the movie although he's not really hidden yes um he is everybody talks about spider-man and spider-man's great in this movie but like my you know not counting uh not counting downey and evans who are both fantastic in the movie obviously and and totally lived up to what they needed to do in this film chadwick boseman who was my pick all along for black panther just throwing it out there check the tape um i was uh (laughs) Um, I was so happy with his performance because, and and I loved, well, his performance was phenomenal, but the writing for that character was phenomenal because why is he with Tony? Well, because T'Challa is, can be a very vengeful kind of person. And that's what, you know, that's the arc that his character goes on. He's not there because he really, he even says like he agrees with the idea of the, of the Accords. He doesn't like the politics of it, 
But at the end of the day, when somebody has killed his father, there has to be something, you know, they have to answer for that. And the Black Panther is going to be the person who makes sure that the assassin who killed the king or the now former king of Wakanda answers for it. So all of that, th- there's so much validity to where everybody's coming from and it's, it's relatable. And that's where if you've been following these movies all along, it's, it gets even better but I think even if you haven't, like just within the pages of the script that they're using for this film, everybody's stance, everybody's position in this film, I think is very, very well defined and very, very uh, easy to uh, easy to understand and relate to so that nobody has to come across, you know, looking like the a-hole. To, to add about Tony Stark, and to be honest, think about from his perspective that like you can essentially blame him for Age of Ultron, like what happens to Sokovia. I mean, he created Ultron, and um, I just can't imagine. I mean, does Tony Stark feel guilt not just for you know the one boy that the mother brought to his attention, but for like the whole thing? Like, I rewatch Age of Ultron today, and I'm like thinking to myself, this is all Tony's fault. Like, Tony built Ultron. It's and- not. Well, the, I think what's here's what's interesting because like you you bring up a great. It's a great question because like. If in the Tony's dialogue in Age of Ultron, there's a point where he actually says, um, you know, when they first, uh, when Ultron first uh, emerges and they have that fight in uh, in the lab where Ultron was born, uh, Tony even says, like, well, and, and he talks to Banner, like, we weren't close. None of the none of the things that we were running trying to create Ultron actually worked. So they don't actually know where Ultron came from. So I think what Tony was doing in, in Age of Ultron was he was kind of relying on. Well, technically, I didn't create Ultron, but he opened the door that Ultron ultimately walked through. And I think that's what you see in Civil War is, you know, he was kind of skirting that responsibility a little bit in Age of Ultron. But then by the time but then by the time Civil War has come along and it's been, you know, a year since then and he's had more time to uh, think about it. And then, of course, you know, hearing about uh, poor Charlie Spencer pushes him kind of over the edge of like, look, this this is it. And he when he talks about Ultron later in the movie, he says my fault. And I think that's the thing is Tony didn't initially want to answer for that probably because of how terrible it was. But now he realizes that it, while it may not be entirely his fault, there's a lot of it that's his fault. And, uh, and that's why he's willing to mm. give up his, uh, you know, give up authority. It's gotta be, he wants to put it on somebody else, maybe so that it's, it can't be his fault anymore. Maybe that's also part of it. And, and I think that's what makes the movie great too, is that I think that, you know, he was rebelling against you know government from, you know, the first Iron Man film like he's not like he is making weapons for the military that was what he made money in mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's turning away from that and for the right reasons right but now he wants to be back under government control because of the guilt and I think I think the, the Civil War does a decent job of that I mean I because I feel like I blame Tony for the whole thing of Age of Ultron I mean it's his fault I can't imagine living with that guilt that Tony created I mean like you said he had the door the doorway but you know, he didn't well, go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm I'm not quite sure I would characterize it exactly that way because I mean the very nature of Tony Stark's existence is to question authority. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's become very clear over the past eight years with everything that we've seen him in. I mean he bucks. It, it's almost like if you really want Tony Stark to do something, then tell him not to do it. But in this instance, I don't know if it's as much that he wants to be under government control as much as his ego is slowly starting to get dialed down. Yeah. You know, when he's, when he's presented with the very real consequences of the choices that he makes, 
that's where the seeds of this fundamental disagreement between he and Captain America come from. Cap thinks that the safest hands are our own, as he plainly said. But, I mean, Tony has seen what happens when things... Granted, he takes those decisions himself more often than not. But when he does take responsibility for those decisions that he places in his own hands, he knows that there can be a very real price. And to have someone else tell him, instead of bowling ahead as he's more likely to do than not, to have someone step back and say, you know, is this really such a good idea? Or maybe you shouldn't just charge headfirst into a certain situation. It's more like... I mean, as we started to see near the end of the movie when he was starting to butt heads more and more with Ross, you know, it's not that he's completely willing to give over uh, complete control over what Iron Man is going to do or what the rest of the Avengers are going to do. Right. But, I mean, he still has his own guiding conscience to a degree. And uh, he he's just looking for moderation. Yeah. Well, it kind of points to the sweeping action that Tony Tar- that Tony Tark <laughs> Tony Stark or Tony Stank, I should say, that Tony Stank uh, takes. <laughs> like, it, it kind of points to that, Chris, because like he, when you think about it, everything he's done has been an overreaction. You know, or I shouldn't say everything. A lot of what he does, Ultron was an overreaction. It was a you know an over. It was a panic to. Um, you know, not feeling like the Avengers were good enough. It was a panic partially to uh, partially due to what he saw at the end of Avengers, the the first one, and then also part partially what he saw in that vision uh, with Scarlet Witch at, at the beginning of Age of Ultron. And again, he takes this step, and and that's kind of what happens here a little bit. Is so Tony, even as he's trying to be more responsible, sometimes he steps into uh, similar traps because in this one, he actually he explicitly says. We need to be put in check, and whatever t- whatever form that takes, I'm game. And then by the end of the film, to your point, like he's seeing, oh crap, I probably should have been a little more, uh, you know, I probably should have spoke up a little bit more. We probably should have before I just completely agreed to this. Now that I see my friends and teammates and this other guy Scott Lang, I don't know, uh, in jail, uh, maybe I should have thought about the, I should have thought this through a little bit more because again. It's Tony trying to do what he thinks is the right thing, trying to do what he feels is you know the most responsible thing to do um, based on whatever information he has available to him at the time. And then he's... And by the way, not just any jail. Yeah, you know, no, the raft. That, I mean, that, that made me yeah, happy. I, yeah. But also, too, I, I think it, another thing feeds into your point as well is that Tony has a predilection for preemptive action. Yeah. You know, which was very much on display in Age of Ultron, where it came to a head when he had that argument with Captain America while they were chopping wood. Mm-hmm. And what did Cap say? When someone tries to win a war before it starts, people die. Yeah. And that's exactly what ended up happening. I mean, his, his vision spawned that preemptive action, which then was the catalyzing event for everything that we saw this past weekend. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, he, his he he has this desire which isn't a bad desire. He Not wants to fix things. But I mean, he under he's starting to understand, well, I mean, there's got to there's there's got to be a better way. And, <laughs> and I think that's where some of this uh yeah. some of this friction comes from. Now, I I completely agree with that. Um, Katie, you mentioned at the top of the show that there were a couple things uh, that maybe you had some issues with. Let's let's explore that. What what did you feel um, maybe wasn't working as well in Civil War? I know I just praised it, but ironically enough, I think okay, 
So I was chatting with fellow friend John Beerley earlier, and he was like, make sure you say this on the podcast. Um, I feel like ever since, and I'm not trying to make this a Marvel versus DC, but since Man of Steel has come out, I feel like the movies since then, especially Marvel movies, have felt the need to constantly explain what they're doing and like justifying any time, like Age of Ultron. Right. Like we have to save everyone. We have to. And Mm -hmm. which I get and I'm grateful for. But then this movie, it become it just felt like so much of the movie focused on the guilt instead of acknowledging that it's there and it's the motivation for what they're doing and how we're getting somewhere. It just kind of, I think, kept falling back on it a little too much. Does that make sense? It it, Yeah, it does. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I'm trying. It's like. You know, I get it, and I'm glad that they put it out there because, again, I think everybody comes from it at the same place. Like, Wanda feels guilt, and she obviously feels it for a couple different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, like, Captain America, and you have Tony looking at it, and Tony's way, is, as you guys were saying, is like, wait a minute, I feel guilty f- for these things I'm doing, and it's all catching up to me. Okay, I should just let the government handle it and turn it over to them and then like hope this works out type of thing but then i think it like keeps going back to it instead of letting that be his motivation and then taking a step back and moving forward because in my mind that's how tony works like he would pass it off and then be like okay i've i've like accepted this and i'm moving on with what i need to do Mm -hmm. and then i feel like it keeps coming back to haunt them and they keep discussing it and i feel like sometimes it kind of drags it down a little bit I don't know, because in this one, I think that was part of that was kind of the heart of the argument, though, is, you know, Captain America wasn't really feeling guilty in this. You know, Steve actually said Wanda has. Yeah, he doesn't. Wanda Wanda has a. Yeah, but Wanda should. Wanda accidentally (laughs) killed 26 people like Wanda needs to feel guilty like that just happened in the movie. Like, I don't think there's I don't think there's really any way around that. I, I agree that in Age of Ultron, there was a little too much, you know, towards the end of we're saving everybody. and We're doing this. And. I, I get that there was some of that being on the nose in Age of Ultron. I don't necessarily feel like that it was quite like that in Civil War. Um, you know, and I, I think, but, you know, part of that is like you have to show that these characters are understanding what, ha- you know, what their impact is on the world and they do have to still, you know, and they have to act in accordance with that and they can't just, you know, act like pretend it does, you know, pretend those things don't exist. And I felt like this one did a better job of it because you had. Wanda had every reason to feel guilty, but even she did. but even then maybe... she got but she got away from it though. Like even she she ultimately says like she has that cathartic moment with Vision of like I'm not you know I I can't control their fear I can only control mine and, right. and she goes in and she does it. So I don't think she's I don't think she stays fueled by that. I don't think she does either. And I like her character. You're right. Her character is completely justified, and she's I mean she's still new in the Marvel universe, yeah. so she's she's feeling out herself and her powers as much as we are as viewers mm-hmm. but i think it wasn't necessarily just her it was kind of everyone like it keeps coming back to it i guess i don't know i maybe i need to see it a third time yeah. and then i can list I more know, specific cause, examples yeah because i think <laughs> well, the guilt, you, well, you, well i think the guilt is like it comes from different kind of sources like, it does like everybody ca- has their own guilt yeah right? i at least like that cap you know that cap is in a place where he is saying you know look 
we try we do the best we can we try to say we try to save as many lives as we can but sometimes that doesn't mean everyone and then even later when when they're having the argument about the accords in more specifically he just says like you know what if they send us you know or what if they don't send us in some place we need to go and then nobody gets saved um so you see you know cap even though even though this is the guy who this is the same guy who believes like we can't leave you know this uh this floating city we can't leave if there's one innocent person still on here and that but at the same time like he understands like there is a certain amount of there is a certain inevitability to innocent lives being lost and so he's not really driven by tony being driven by guilt is kind of that's also kind of tony though i mean so that tony it, it always comes back to some kind of guilt uh with tony because tony is damaged straight up like that and well, that <laughs> like that will always be part of him to Katie's point, though, and I was thinking about this a little bit more, I was wondering if there might be a difference in the overall outlook just considering the makeups of each respective roster. Because yeah. on Captain America's side, there are, what, four dedicated, at least active or former military personnel, and Iron mm-hmm. Man has two, one of them who switch, switches sides at the end. I mean, yeah. those those people are trained at the very beginning to not condone or um or accept collateral damage they want to minimize it but Mm -hmm. they also have a mindset that allows them to get over it pretty quickly to accomplish the task at hand it doesn't mean that they don't want to save people but it means that they do become focused on minimizing future losses of life as opposed to dwelling on what's already happened and i wonder if that because of that makeup if there was some sort of subconscious effort on the part yeah. of the writers and the directors if if that might play into where some of this disagreement comes from because a lot of those people are soldiers yeah and well, they well, fundamentally see things differently yeah well when i talked to uh because i got at the press junket i got to interview marcus and mcfeely and i talked to him about specifically about black widow because you know she's had some of her own guilt and it's been teased in um uh, teased in Avengers and played again on Winter Soldier, and, and it's always you know it's always there because we all know she did a bunch of terrible things. We don't know exactly what, we just know that it's terrible. And I talked to them specifically about this idea that Widow joins Team Iron Man as a po- when you would expect her to go Team Cap, and they said like they're and I, I couldn't really disagree with them in terms of the the idea with Black Widow is that she's she's been kind of pursuing like her arc is to kind of pursue some form of what she feels is like is legitimacy because she's she started out as somebody who was you know bad not not necessarily by choice it's just this was the program that she was a part of and she's she's tried to be more legitimate since then. that's part of the reason joining shield joining what she thought was you know an organization that fought for good and then that kind of you know that gets ripped out from under her in the winter soldier and now she feels like you know maybe finally if she you know, if, if if she looks at, as she says, reading the terrain and she sees like, you know, OK, if we become something that is approved by the United Nations and we work in accordance with a United Nations panel, this is my opportunity to be like get the approval of the world and be legitimized by the world. And it's not so much, you know, it's not just it's not just pure guilt. There is like this pursuit of, of atonement and the pursuit of legitimacy that she's going for as like as a citizen in the world. And. I think that's what she sees this as an opportunity to do. But then ultimately she realizes that in order to do that, she would be betraying herself, her own code, you know, what she thinks is right, who she thinks is right uh, in terms of, you know, believing in Steve Rogers. And and you see like how upset she gets and how she reacts when Tony says they're coming for you, because all she's really tried to do is she has tried to 
you know, fight on the side of good and then and ultimately be recognized for that and to in some way be redeemed for all the terrible things in her past. And then Tony just throws it back in her face and that, you know, by by doing what you thought was right in this instance, by helping Steve, uh, now you've made yourself a, you are now branded a criminal again. And you see her, you know, reacting extremely negatively to that. So I think it's really interesting what they're doing. Black Widow. It kind of sucks that there's not like a Black Widow movie to follow up on this yeah, right there now. There needs to be one. There, there needs, needs to, to be one. I'm glad Kevin Feige finally said like that's on you know yeah. now on the priority list. But just looking at the lay of the land, that that that's still not phase. That's still not. That's not till phase four. Well, look, there will be a Black Widow movie in phase four. But the problem is there should have already been one in phase three. And there's a great movie to like Black Widow on the run uh, as she is at, by the end of this film. That's an interesting movie, and that's a movie, yeah. and, and everything that she's dealing with by the end of this movie is something I want to see, and I I don't want to wait, you know, five years or well, I guess yeah, it's not minimum. that long, three or four years. I don't want to wait that long to see the follow up to that movie because I think they do a lot of interesting things with her, but there is absolutely another story to tell. It's finally time to unveil all this stuff that she hates about herself. What is it? Like, let's get in there and let's deal with that, and let's see her, you know. Uh, let's see her push through that so that that way, to your point, Katie, we don't have to keep bringing up this idea. Like, let's tell that redemption story and let's make it happen. And as opposed to let's just keep teasing that she needs to be redeemed in in every movie, because there's there's interesting stuff being teased. But to your point, Katie, I mean, it's part part of the reason why this stuff keeps getting brought up is because it's not being fully explored. There, There's no resolution, I think, is like the biggest issue. And well, if they would yeah. just resolve it, then you're right. Well, they could. Yeah, you know that actually brings up kind of an it's it's a very small nitpick, but I want to know what you guys think of it because I was a little bit miffed, not so much at this movie specifically, but I'm kind of bummed that these seem to be happening in real time, you know. And mm. I guess with the TV stuff, they kind of have to do that with all of this stuff happening. In oh, between, they don't care but, about the TV stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, but care. I mean, as far as no like point. the cohesion of the universe, yeah. it makes yeah, sense yeah, yeah, yeah. to have the movies take place in real yeah. time, yes. but. Yes. Having two years pass between Winter Soldier and this felt a little long. Having one year pass between this and Age of Ultron felt a little long. It would have been nice if there could be... I mean, I guess it would make sense considering that giant earth-shattering events don't usually happen in rapid succession. <laughs> right. But for the for the purposes of these narratives, I would have liked a little less space in-universe between these movies. I kind of... What I... What I like about it, though, is I, I kind of feel like, you know, naturally in life, that seems to be how long things take, though. I mean, any t you know, a lot of times when, yeah. when there's a scandal that breaks out, you know, or, or whatever it is, or there's some, uh, you know, terrible tragedy, like the fallout for that can happen for a long time. And so sure. I, 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 I kind of, you know, having it be in real time, I, I don't really have uh, too much of an issue with that. Uh, Zemo absolutely needed the year to pull off all the all the stuff he pulls off in this movie. Uh, he needed, you know, and lucky for him, this was a leap year, so he got an extra day. Like, he really <laughs> needed it. Um, so that day actually made all the difference. It, You're I, right. It totally did. So I, I think, uh, you know, so I don't really mind. Uh, I don't really mind the real time thing. But since we brought him up, because I he's he seems like a character who would be easy to forget. Let's let's talk about Zemo for a minute, because there's tons of other stuff to talk about with the heroes, and, and we'll have time to get to it um paul i'm gonna be very curious to see what you think about zemo because when i saw the movie i loved it but i also 
talk to Paul all the time. And when Paul and I talk about Civil War and the fact that Zemo was in it, he wanted a purple Cobra Commander mask, and that was just the way it needed to be. And and uh, you know, and I didn't you know fully disagree with it, but uh, I want to know what you thought personally. I liked Zemo, but but I will say this: this is completely fair. He did not have to be named Zemo, like that. I, I will mm. say that's fair. He could have been. He could have had any name, any name, because the importance of of that was not you know, that his name was Zemo, because that means nothing to most of the people who watch this movie. And to the people it means something to, they're not really seeing Zemo. Um, so for anybody who is upset about that as a comic book fan, I think that's totally fair. Um, but what I liked about the character, independent of the name, is that I I, I love that this wasn't just this diabolical bad guy this this was a this was not a repetitive marvel villain i know people have complained before about too many bald guys in suits and, and some there's some of that's fair and some of it isn't but i i think with uh when it comes to this villain like it was different because he was yes he did terrible things but he was you know in his own way pursuing revenge which t'challa was also pursuing in, in this film and what was really yeah. interesting about it is this was the Avengers past coming back to haunt them. This was the things that they've done, you know, the impact that it has, like how that it leads directly to somebody taking action uh, against them. So I, I thought this was a really interesting villain uh, to have over the course of this movie. And what I, what I love about it is at least he's still alive. And at least when the Avengers uh, inevitably come back, cause they have to, in order to defeat Thanos in a few years, when that <laughs> happens, um, you know, that, you know, since right now Zemo's happy because he thinks his plan works, he, he thinks his plan has worked, and it kind of has. He has at least temporarily torn apart the Avengers, but when that doesn't last, um, I think he will certainly have motivation to come back after them, and that's where we might end up seeing him be more of a full-blown comic book Zemo because Daniel Bull... <clears throat> Thunderbolts. <clears throat> yes. No, no, no. I, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, but even if it's not Thunderbolts, Zemo has also been a member of Ma the Masters of Evil at a different point in time. Oh, yeah. So, so tons of different directions that you can go with Zemo as a character. And Daniel Brühl is a fantastic actor, so why not uh, use him again? Uh, but for now, for the purposes of this movie, Paul, if you're upset about the lack of uh, purple headwear, I, I, I can't fight you on it. Well, it, it's funny because I, for some, I don't know if I read it somewhere. I, I kind of had an idea that he wasn't going to wear a mask. I kind of prepared myself because I, I feel like they would have promoted that a little bit if he did have a mask. Paul, they're staying away from purple. That's what they're doing. They stop it. Jessica Jones are doing it here, too. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, don't even bring up Jessica Jones right now, you <laughs> jerk. Oh. Anyway. Um, all right. So what I, I'm a huge I'm a huge Baron Zemo fan because of the costume. Um, I, I had a, me and John Brilly, I keep bringing up John because John's one of our good friends. Uh, we were talking, uh, on text and he, we were talking about Zemo and he, he had mentioned to me, I had the secret wars action figure. I'm like, so did I, hmm. and I, him, Dr. Doom, Spider-Man and black Spider-Man. I had all those secret war action figures, Captain America, Dr. Octopus, I had a lot of them growing up. And Zemo was like one I always played with. I didn't know much about him, but I just know he looked freaking sweet. And as I got older and read more comic books, I really liked the character because he is just like what we have in this movie. He is really smart. He's not stupid. And one of the things that 
the Baron Zemo, at least the, the current Baron Zemo, he's getting revenge on Captain America for his father's death, the original Baron Zemo from World War II. Um, though they change this and it's about he's going to getting revenge on his family, it's still the kind of the basic idea of you took something away from me. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take everything away from you and in legacy, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't the legacy part wasn't there, but, but the smarts of Zemo was there. And I thought given what civil war was about, you couldn't have a villain in the mask. be The the guy who's in here and say, punch me because now I have made you guys all hate each other. So you guys can beat me up and then you guys can beat up each other afterwards. no, I thought it was brilliant how they set it up, and, and and Sean, you kind of said it best that you know he he did he he did his role well, and I think that I I didn't I didn't need to have him in a mask because to me this movie was Civil War. It was about Tony versus Cap and those two ideals finally going head to head, and I think that Zemo only just it was a perfect kind of way. To put it, you know, to introduce Zemo. That's the way I looked at it. Like, mm-hmm. just like you said, Sean, he could have been anyone, but the fact they made him Zemo and the fact he survives at the end and he's, you know, he's hanging out and, and he's smiling to Martin Freeman's character and, you know, basically boasting that, yeah, they're tearing each other apart. I won. Um, that's exactly like Baron Zemo from the comics. Like, that's, he is a eight steps ahead kind of guy. He's not, Red Skull is like a powerful leader. Mm-hmm. But but like Zemo, think of Zemo as like the tactician. That's exactly what Zemo is, and that's what he did in this movie. And now a lot of people complain a little bit. There's a little bit of a so that makes Zemo Hydra's rocket raccoon. <laughs> when you think well, about that was, it, it kind of does. That was the position that Heinrich had under the Red Skull originally. Right, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying but even before, I, mean, I know Baron Zemo is kind of in and out of Hydra in the comic books, but yeah. I thought it was interesting. I I first for a while thought that. He was a part of Hydra, and then I realized, no, wait, no, he's not. No. He's not. In fact, he was shit talking Hydra. Yes, exactly. he was. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what to me, to me, the movie works because you still like it. You, it, it explains the movie is is what it proclaims to be Civil mm-hmm. War, and that's what it is. And Zemo is only a underline of that, and he was a perfect kind of just foil for the whole thing to bring it all together. Granted, it was a little convenient. And I, again, I, don't, I can I can forgive movies like these, like the superhero films that have a little more conveniency in it. That's fine. And I felt with Zemo, you had to have that a little bit. But at the same time, it made sense what he was doing. He was always eight steps ahead. And I felt like they got the characterization of Zemo pretty well. Though he wasn't wearing a mask. I think right now, like you said, Sean, they have set up pretty much to where I think he'll get out and he'll form the Masters. Like if, if there is... I think we all know there's gonna be movies after the Infinity War, whether oh, yeah. or not, whether or not there's you know Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans in them. I don't know. At They'll this be point. back. But my point is this: the Masters. I don't, they're not gonna call them the Masters of Evil. They'll call them the Masters, which I think is still pretty sweet, um, probably. So when that happens, I I know Daniel Bruhl will deliver. I'm really excited. So I think it's a great introduction to Zemo, and I'm leaving it at that. If they never go back to it. I will feel it's a, it will be a letdown, but as of right now, it's not. Well, I love that his whole plot was you know the, what everybody thought he was doing, what Bucky and Cap and Sam thought he was doing, and then eventually Tony when he starts figuring it out. You know, it, it is they they were setting it up kind of exactly to play out exactly the way a lot of Marvel films have ended. Is that now it's going to be a big team up fight? 
at least this time it wouldn't be faceless drones. It would be, you know, a bunch of winter soldiers. But, you know, they really were subverting expectations out there. I mean, they were laying them on the line and then just totally, you know, swerving it with this idea that they were going to have to go fight these winter soldiers that Zemo unleashed. And, of course, they and when I when I saw that, like when the first time I saw the movie, I was like, that better not be where they're going to go finish this because I don't I was like, I don't want to watch that. And then when they walk in and they see that he's killed all of the all of the Winter Soldiers and he says, do you really think I wanted any more of you? I thought, oh, thank God, because I didn't even really care about watching that fight, especially after uh, that amazing airport sequence that we'll talk about in a little bit. Like, you know, after seeing that, I didn't really care about watching Cap and Bucky and, and Tony against some gen- and uh, T'Challa since he was uh, trailing behind Tony. I didn't care about watching them fight a bunch of generic Winter Soldiers. So, you know, I knew that they, we would still get to because obviously from the trailers, the Tony, Cap, and Bucky fight. But you know, I didn't want to have to waste any time with dealing with these Winter Soldiers. And lucky for that, you know, lucky for all of us, I think uh, Zemo was was very quick about it. Katie, what did you think about uh, about Zemo? Um. Yeah, I really, really liked him. I feel like you guys have kind of covered everything I think I would have said. <laughs> well, all right. Um, no, okay, so uh, let's uh, well, let's jump. Well, oh, oh, go ahead, Chris. I mean, to the point about the mask, because, I mean, Baron Zemo is obviously, to me anyway, one of Marvel's best villains, especially coming from the Captain America side of things. So when I when they when I heard that he was going to be in this movie in some form. I was happy. Uh, wasn't sure what form that was going to take. And then almost as soon as I heard who they cast, I immediately did not want a mask because I really do think that Daniel Bruhl is one of the best actors working today. And if you haven't seen Inglorious Bastards, oh, you man. really need to because yeah. he is spectacular. I mean, virtually everybody in that movie is spectacular, but him in particular, there's an intensity about him that... I had a very good feeling about when I heard that he was going to be playing Zemo. After watching the movie, he didn't really bring that to it, but I'm glad that he didn't because he was more the quiet, intense type. And um, I, I mean, there were parts where he had outbursts, of course, but I liked how he kind of detached himself mm-hmm. from what he was doing to a point. And then at the very end, when he's talking to to uh is everett sloan that's his name right everett ross everett ross thank yeah. you we have two rosses in this to... movie no re- apparently no right. relation it... but <laughs> <laughs> by the way well, if you didn't see if everett... you didn't see a lot of martin freeman in this movie everett ross is a bigger character in black panther's world so you'll see him yeah. over there yes definitely over there over there <laughs> but when he was talking to ross at the end of it and he just says did i mm-hmm I loved how understated that was because really, I mean, if you're engaged in this movie uh, from, you know, the thought provoking perspective, then that automatically forces you to go back to everything. Even though as he's talking to Black Panther, you see the intercut of, of Tony and Cap fighting. I almost found it more effective for him to say that because it means that he knew exactly what he had accomplished after the fact. And that certainty uh, was what was familiar to me about his Zemo. So, um, you know, I, I would love it if they went, 
the Masters of Evil would be cool, but I would love it if they did more of a Thunderbolts route, especially considering the butting of heads that uh, Secretary Ross had with everybody. Chris, you realize the Masters of Evil and the Thunderbolts were the same thing for a while? Yeah, but I mean, the the idea of the Thunderbolts as a team that's assembled, uh, particularly for uh, for the government, is something that I like. If they went, if they went with a route of all of a sudden, Citizen V shows up with <sighs> like a new a whole lot with a new bunch of heroes, and then it ends up being Baron Zemo and you know these the the new masters or whatever. Like obviously they wouldn't be like previously villains; they'd be brand new people, but. That would be kind of cool, but that'd be like a, it'd be be weird too. I don't know. I don't think it'd do well, that. But yeah, I think idea... you have to go Masters route though, because I mean, absolutely. It, mm-hmm. Well, it depends. Like, but if if Suicide Squad takes takes off, it really is hard to do Thunderbolts because the concept is so yeah, similar that it, it'll be something where everybody will look at it and go, "Well, we have a bunch of villains, te- you know, going on missions for the government, and uh, there's no Harley Quinn, so that seems boring." And like, well, I, I mean, the idea though of having Ross play a more specific role, oh yeah, is attractive to me, and I think that the most direct route to do that would be with the Thunderbolts. But yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that there would be a monopoly on the market of supervillain team-up films going forward if Suicide Squad is what I think we all hope it to be. Or heaven forbid, if Marvel would, I'd go, hey, we'll we'll do that too. We would never hear the end of it from the DC people. They'd be like, <laughs> well, but you guys you never take our ideas, and then you guys are so funny, I can't the, even do anything. The whole, the whole pissing match thing is yeah. BS. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to do what works, and who, who, who cares, really? I, right. I mean, I, I'm just, as long as these movies are good, then I'm that's... I'm just saying what's going to happen, regardless yeah. of whether I agree with it or not. Well, so. no, I understand that, but I mean, because I've seen a pissing match erupt over this movie already, and, you know... As someone who, if if we're okay, I'm gonna go here for a second, I guess, because Dawn of Justice needed to be better. Well, we had, you had you had to say it. I didn't bring it up, people. I just want you all. Well, to- I didn't bring it up at all in my review. I want to say that specifically. But the idea that people are going to go back and forth over this because we've all seen this before. We've been around the block a few times as fans. We know this in the comic book store. We know this on television. We know this at the movies. It's just tiresome. And the idea of people devoting themselves entirely to uh, an invisible standard over what a comic book movie should be, it all comes down to individual taste, as we know. But at the end of the day, the fact is that one has connected more than the other, and we can just hope for the best next time around. If you're getting in a pissing match, just stop. Just stop because it's not going to do anything for your cause if you actively seek out arguments to try and uphold the brand of your choice. It's just useless. Go to these movies and enjoy them, please. That's all you're supposed to do. And if you really want to get into a pissing match, just do it away from me. I just, I just... <laughs> Yeah, uh, point the other direction if you don't mind. (laughs) I don't need anything on my shoes. Um, The wind is already blowing very hard, so it's not a good thing to do. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we could go much farther into that, but I won't. So, um, okay, I want to talk about, uh, we've gone through Zemo, we've gone through uh, the conflict. I talked about him a little bit more, but I I really want to give a little more time on Black Panther because that... That scene at the end between him and uh, he and Zemo, I thought was just incredible. And 
one of you know many scenes with uh Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa that I, I thought were great. I mean, first off, I, I think it's one of the coolest costume designs ever uh, put to live action. I mean, already kind yeah. of knew that going into it, but then seeing it uh, all the way in this film, the costume design was just flawless with Black Panther. I, I It looks incredible. It makes him you know, impossible to take your eyes off, at least for me, impossible to take my eyes off of when he's on screen. That's, a, you know, my... My eyes are immediately directed toward that. You costume. had to fan yourself, Sean. You're like, oh man, I had, I had, the, I had the vapors, man. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't control it. But, uh, but then you know, Chadwick Boseman, just as an actor, I just thought, I mean, man, it, it, it's not an easy thing to come into a movie like this that has such high emotional stakes for characters who are very, very established and who have already appeared in several movies together and and have relationships that the audience is already invested in. And to draw out, you know, an equal investment for yourself as this brand new character, you know, it takes a hell of an actor to do that. And Chadwick Boseman is a hell of an actor who gave a hell of a performance in this. And uh, what works so well about Black Panther, you know, is that he had, you know, he got to have his own personal stakes in this. And yes, that aligned him with Iron Man. But if the roles were reversed, it could have just as easily flipped, uh, uh, aligned him with Cap because it really was more of these, you know, personal stakes. And uh, I, I loved his uh, the angle that they had to include him in this movie, and then everything that he said. Like Chadwick Boseman just had the presence of T'Challa, which there is there's a ferocity to T'Challa, you know, in that intensity. But at the same time, there is this regal wisdom about T'Challa that you know this this calm, cool nature that he that he also has, um, and that I thought was uh, Boseman brought all of that. But then that last scene with Zemo, as he kind of completes his arc and this idea of you know, vengeance, vengeance has consumed you. It's consuming them. I'm done letting it consume me. Uh, followed by that fantastic line after he prevents Zemo from committing suicide of the living are not done with you yet. Uh, I just, I loved everything about Black Panther in this movie. It was, um, like I said, Spider-Man was fantastic. And we will talk about Spider-Man, I swear. But I, I just, you know, with Spider-Man getting so much attention, I, I can't let it, you know, this idea of, of Black Panther escape me because I, you know, Black Panther was obviously a movie I was already looking forward to, but by the end of Civil War, when you start talking about Phase Three movies, it's like I want to go watch Black Panther. I want to go watch that Black Panther movie tomorrow. Like I, I really want to go watch that movie now. Uh, so knowing that Bozeman is fantastic in this role, and you have a great director like Ryan Coogler making this thing, um, you know the I think the hype for the Black Panther movie just shot way up as a result of uh, just how great Chadwick Bozeman was in this. Yeah, I. It's funny because I I wasn't on the the Bozeman train the first time I watched the film. And I'm not I'm not sure if it's because Boo. that's probably because no. you were just wrong for a minute. You know, it yeah, happened. I was. <laughs> now, now, hold on, now, hold on. I said the first time I saw the movie. It's because he got distracted by Spider Man. Probably this is, this is probably true, which we'll get to that in a second. But mm-hmm. um, girl, you don't thin ice. Um, here's the thing. I I don't know what it what it was, but at first the 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 first time I watched the film, for some reason, Bozeman's accent like this kind of bothered me. I thought oh, I he was, loved it. I, I thought it was too soft spoken. Um, I had no reference for it. I didn't hear it in the trailers, so I, I just was kind of like. But oh. then he, but then his tone is completely different when he has the costume on. That's what I loved about it is his well, voice. True, true. His voice changes. Like there's an intensity that's there when when he's the Black Panther. Like you know, there's that scene between him and his uh, him and his father after. Uh, after T'Challa talks to uh, Natasha where he says like for somebody who hates diplomacy you're getting quite good at it like 
how he is, you know, in a room, you know, as kind of a, you know, a politician, as a representative of his country, um, you know, or I guess now as a monarch, uh, you know, that that's different from the warrior of Black Panther. So I love like his voice is it's deeper when he's got the costume on and it's got, you know, much more boom to it. And I, I think that's what I liked about it is soft spoken T'Challa being diplomatic. But then when it's game on, like and he's not as soft spoken when he tells Natasha that he's going to kill Bucky. And I think that's just the thing is he was, you know, being good in the room in that moment. But then, you know, yeah. when it, when when the time comes to kick, uh, to ratchet up the intensity, T'Challa's right there. Well, and, and that's the thing is I, I just didn't have a reference for it. And and the first time I watch any any of these films, whether I love it or just think it's OK, it's hard for me to process everything because, you know, these are things that I love and I'm absorbing everything. These characters, I have expectations on, on every what everyone sounds like, whether it be black panther or spider-man so you know it's just like i just didn't know what to expect but the second time watching it i loved everything about black panther and and maybe and i maybe i was drinking the kool-aid afterwards like to agree with everyone else but going into the second time i just bought everything into at least t'challa's character i love the black panther 100 percent either either time he was amazing everything he did was incredible he looked amazing um, I love the fact that just how driven he was, and I don't know. Oh, I, he just... steals that chase sequence, man! Like the, oh, like yeah. he is just nonstop. Yeah. He the, the fist yeah. fight with Bucky on the roof, clawing his way down the side of the building, and then in the chase in the tunnel, he goes from clinging on the back of whatever little mini SUV Cap was driving, which was just weird and funny looking. <laughs> but he goes from clinging on the back of that to clinging on the back of the motorcycle with Bucky, and he actually has to to keep his balance. Like actually has to walk his feet up on the roof of the tunnel to stay with the bike with. Bucky and then when Bucky finally shakes him off then he hitches a ride on Falcon's ankle uh, and like just flies with him to keep going and he finally is a and you know finally ends up being able to claw a tire to stop Bucky like just that relentless pursuit in that sequence was just everything and then even uh, a great moment in the airport fight because there was a lot of quipping and I know some people are not happy about that but whatever uh like all the you know back and forth and every you know some people were saying funny things during the uh during the airport fight and t'challa wasn't and even when clint tries to be like buddy buddy with him like we haven't met yet i'm clint he's just i don't care and he just you know and then we're we're fighting and this is you know that's all that's happening here um everything about it i i just thought was working so Katie, you sound like you were more right than Paul about Black Panther, so let's give you a chance Wait, to weigh hold in. Wait, hold on, for the record, I said I liked, I said I liked him. On. What the heck? Hey, you said what you said, and it's on, we recorded it. Don't worry. Katie, I said this the first time. Katie, conti- Katie continue. <laughs> you know what, Paul? If it makes you feel better, based on what happened with Wanda's accent, maybe Black Panther won't have one the second oh, time. Oh, wow. Hold on. Wow. Let me just say... <laughs> Let me just say that was a course correction that was necessary because the accent was not great in Age of Ultron. So the Russos were like, let's dial this back a bit. And I thought her accent worked much better for me in this movie. Like, yeah, it's totally not the same accent. And I'm fine with that. I'll take a break in continuity to fix something. You know, there's a reason she had a year, right? She had a year to immerse herself in, in American culture. So, 
Yeah, I'm you see in her, she's she's in her room watching TV, Katie. I mean, come on, she's she's <laughs> Americanized I, I by now. Say like, give it a year with the Avengers, and maybe Paul will feel better about his accent. Like, but, I'm just going on. I'm fine with it now. I want to say for the record, I love Black Panther and Chala and Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's character, you know, characterization and accent and everything. I the just, lady got a point, Paul. I just, just <laughs> the first time it was just, a, I just didn't really know what to think of it. Wasn't keen on it. Now I'm fully bought in. Anyway, Katie, continue. It's we'll like erase that part from the podcast where you uh, say, oh. <laughs> we're going to fight later. So I'll be nice now. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I thought the way they brought it in and made his emotional stakes so high right from the get-go with Mm -hmm. him losing his father and feeling that it's Bucky's fault and just bringing him into the fight that was the perfect way to introduce him to us because otherwise he could have gotten lost in the crowd Mm -hmm. because you're right like he's in the majority of the movie and has higher stakes in it and people are talking about Spider-Man instead and I'm you know he's not in it as long. Like he just, he has a cameo in it and everybody's walking away. Like so pumped for the Spider-Man movie. And that's great. And that's fantastic. And I am Mm -hmm. too, but like, that's a lie. Really? That is not a lie. That's a lie. You're misconstruing other things that I have said. No. Well, like in, and look, black (laughs) Panther. I have seen, you know, I don't want to act like I'm not trying to characterize it as like, nobody's hyped for the black Panther movie coming out of the war. Like there's a lot of people who are excited, but, yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, Spider-Man is getting a little more attention. But I, I think, you know, at least, the, at least, you know, from the people that I've talked to, like who've seen the movie, who don't aren't as invested in this you stuff as, as no, 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 the people who are not invested in this stuff, like Paul what? is. <laughs> like everybody seems to be pretty, like you know, talking to like just some of my friends and family who you know saw the movie, and then they were just they they were all raving about Black Panther. So I do feel like even though it it may not be as uh, as vocal in like the nerd sphere on Twitter. I mean, it's still pretty, it still is, even though it's just, it's just not as vocal as Spider-Man. I feel like, you know, people in the mainstream audience are actually, you know, we're very happy with Black Panther and actually are looking forward to that movie. So, you know what I was kind of hoping is that Claw would have something to do with the King's death. Word. Something. Word. Just, just something, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe they could retcon that in the Black Panther movie overall, but I mean, at the end of the day, he could be the Chad guy would, who supplied the bomb. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. and and that would definitely be a, a quick and easy way to tie him into that mythology directly. I mean, well, technically, cl- he is he is the one yeah, who stole the vibranium. He, he is you know vibranium. He, yeah. yeah, he stole the vibranium, which was a huge part of setting off the chain of events into in Ultron that got Wakanda involved yeah. in the first place, that got those people killed and having them in the wrong place at the wrong time for, in Lagos, and then everything. I'm that sure was. that T'Challa will know who Claw is. Oh by yeah. The time that, oh, he knows. He, who he, he is already now. does. Yeah, yeah. He, he already been, does. They already branded him like that. He that they talk about Age of Ultron like. That's how they recognize, you know, that it's uh, oh, yeah, Wakanda. Like, right. They branded him, so yeah. he's been caught in Wakanda already. So Come I'm on, sure, right. I'm sure that Black Panther and Claw have already faced off. Paul, don't you come on, Chris? Me, I I know I caught something that you missed the first time around. Yeah, based on our yeah, that was. We'll bring right. that up a little Go bit later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. 
But when it comes to Chadwick Boseman, I mean, I think that he clearly had the biggest mountain to climb in this movie because the character is new to the universe and he's new to live action film overall. Not that Tom Holland didn't have a big hill to climb to establish himself as Spider-Man, but Chadwick Boseman kind of needed to break out in this and I think he absolutely did. I mean, he did such a great job of not just playing the uh the brutal regality that mm. black panther needs to and can have but in separating the tones of the other heroes i think that i mean the moment that you talked about sean where he quipped sort of with hawkeye very clearly set up the kind of devotion that he has to the task at hand mm-hmm. and uh and he doesn't have time for that and i thought that that was a great way to to set him apart from everyone else that was on the screen and again, to Katie's point, I mean, he very could have, he very easily could have gotten lost. In, I mean, really, overall, anybody could have gotten lost in the mix of this movie. The fact that it was written as tightly as it was and and directed as tightly as it was is a testament to all of the people that were involved in that. Mm-hmm. But Black Panther, in particular, I mean, he th- his performance in this movie should very easily give him the recognizability and the anticipation for what we will see from him in the future. And, uh, and, and that excites me to no end. He's a very fascinating character. Mm-hmm. He, has, he occupies a very unique place in the Marvel Universe overall. And uh, the fact that that's going to be given even greater service in his own dedicated movie going forward makes me very, very happy. So I was really glad with how Black Panther came out in this movie. Now, if Marvel can just get Namor back from Universal so I can have T'Challa versus Namor, all will be well. <laughs> if they could bring the X-Men so that he could marry Storm. <laughs> that too. Stop it. Yeah, just stop it. Uh, let's not even bring that awful X-Men continuity into this uh, <laughs> unless, we're, unless we're rebooting. Um, we have all talked at length about that in the past. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, well... We we got there, Paul. Uh, <laughs> let's let's oh. talk about Spider Man. Um, oh. I I love Spider Man in this. I I mean, as pretty pretty much everybody has. I haven't really seen a whole lot of negative reaction to uh, to Spider Man in this. Oh well, I think Katie's. I don't think it's so much that Spider Man is the problem; it's the lack of other things that becomes the problem. Um, but we can, we can talk about that afterwards. Yeah. So, um, but as, as in terms of his placement in the story, um, it was arguably the weakest of anybody just because again, he, all of a sudden Tony's bringing in this kid who had some YouTube videos from, you know, six months before or whatever. Um, but I didn't care. Um, it wasn't like, it was, it was probably, um, maybe the lightest of anything that they, that they did, but I, I still, I still bought it. Um, and I think what I, I really loved about it is, you know, this Peter Parker makes sense for a guy like Tony Stark to like, kind of have, you know, if Tony's trying to investigate, you know, for whatever reason, I guess Tony's been investigating super people who pop up, although I guess he never found any in humans and he never found daredevil or daredevil. Jessica Jones. Uh, but I guess Spider-Man was the one that he latched. Well, maybe he did. And you know, Spider-Man was just the one that he latched onto. And, um, but I think that's, you know, Tony and whatever investigating he did to find out that Peter Parker was uh, Spider-Man. Um, I just like that, you know, that it makes sense to me that Tony would take a liking to a kid like Peter Parker um, because Peter Parker in a lot of ways is, you know, Tony Stark without the resources uh, in terms of, being the science nerd, being somebody who tinkers and, 
you know, and, you know, uh, Tony Stark actually loves like the dumpster diving computers that Peter has on his desk. Like he's, you know, gets excited about that. So, um, I really liked the bond that was kind of, that was introduced between those two characters in this. And, and I thought the the scene between the two of them was great. And that's why, you know, when we learned a couple weeks back or whatever, that Downey had signed to show up in Spider-Man homecoming, I had already seen civil war and it just made complete sense to me, um, based on not so much the fight at the airport, which was great, but the, but that scene. And what I love, what I love about Holland's Peter Parker is, you know, I love that he stammers. I love that he kind of talks over himself and he revises what he's saying as he's saying it. And he's just this naturally kind of nervous, nerdy, dorky, insecure kid. Um, but then when he gets the the Spider-Man costume on, like he's talking smack all day long, even when Falcon tells him like, hey, normally in a fight, there's not this much talking. Oh, sorry, my bad. Uh, and then he just continues on going about his business. I, I love Spider-Man in this. I thought Tom Holland was fantastic, both in and out of the costume. But then in the costume, I mean, the action was great. It really looked, I mean, there's been a lot of great action in Spider-Man movies. So I don't, I don't want to dismiss all the other movies that came before and just say everything about Spider-Man sucked until this. That's not true. Uh, there's been good Spider-Man stuff before this. Uh, but this was certainly, uh, for me anyway, this was kind of the most, the most, uh, true to comic the most uh you know coming leaping off the page uh version of peter parker and spider-man that i've seen uh in a movie so far and i was really excited about it i was having a blast uh with uh i was having a, a great time with uh, this new spider-man and i just i i love his empire strikes back bit like i i, I love that reference i knew paul was just <laughs> like, oh, man. i knew paul would lose his mind on that <laughs> spider-man's talking about star wars which is pretty I, much was... the only thing paul oh. you know I, i'm surprised that paul's still alive after that quite frankly oh. but my, uh, my friend jim will will tell you that i yeah. lost it yeah. i did no, i was I, I was just trying to picture what noise is paul making right now it's <laughs> like, like only like yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you take Paul's two favorite things and you, you know, you have this oh. meta moment of them. But uh, anyway, I love Spider-Man. But Paul, you are the uh, the biggest Spider-Man fan that I know. So uh, it's really yes. your stamp of approval that this podcast is depending on. Oh, that's very nice of you. Um, so first of all, I have to say I was wrong. You're right, Sean. Tony and Spider-Man have the special relationship that they, you know, that I was saying that I was hoping it would be Cap. Damn, got it on tape. Well, it, it, it's fine. I have no problem admitting <laughs> that I was wrong. And the, and the main reason why is because it, it works well in the movie. And I think that's that was my main concern going into it. And I'm a little – here's the thing. Before I go into what I think about Spider-Man, I just want to say the introduction to Spider-Man, it, it feels it, – is it forced – yeah. Is it awesome? Yeah. So <laughs> I don't really care at yeah. that point. So, but I will say this. I, I wish they rep- I wish Tony wasn't the one to go to, to go to him and make his suit for him. I, you know, I, I wish he, I wish it was all Peter by himself. Now, that being said, those are just very just hardcore Spider-Man of oh, me. At least Peter Spider-Man. invented his web shooters and he did have like a costume that he invented for himself. But that, that's actually something that I liked. And, you know, I've, I've said this before on the show, like when we first started seeing like on that Russo brothers Twitter account, that I guess ended up being real, even though it was never verified, but like the goggles and everything that we saw in that, like ended up being in this movie. I liked that Peter's original costume, even though we barely saw it and like, you know, poor resolution video. And then of course just seeing it kind of hanging in his room. 
I like that it looked homemade because that's been one of my issues with uh, the Spider-Man costume in the movies is that Peter makes this costume for himself and they're not, you know, they're not rich. You know, the Parker, the Parker household is not necessarily well off, uh, but he's got this costume that's clearly very expensive. So this looked like a, a costume that Peter Parker could make with the resources that Peter oh, Parker yeah. has. And so and I don't his sewing skills. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind that this one, like that Smart Tony, kid. that Tony gave him, you know, that Tony gave him the upgrade and, and, and you got to keep my, and just in terms of the time frame, you know, uh, Tony had 36 hours to bring in Steve Rogers. So, and that included traveling from Berlin to New York and back, which I'm sure Tony can get there much faster than anybody else can and has a much better plane and, or in his Ironman suit or whatever. Um, but like, you know, just in the time frame, they didn't have time to be like, okay, Peter, now here's all this stuff that I, here's all this stuff that you have for you to make your own costume. Like it had to be fast. Tony obviously was already thinking about, you know, reaching out to Spider-Man already. So probably already had some kind of suit prepared for when he reached out to him. And so this just kind of became the opportune moment for right. that to uh, for that so, to happen. So here's the thing. I that being said, I have to say this. Oh my god! <laughs> it was awesome. Um cuz I, I I loved it. Every when 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 Tony Stark shows in. And this is all me knowing that I'm wrong. When Tony Stark shows up in Aunt May's uh, in in the house with Aunt May or Aunt Hottie as as Tony Stark affectionately, affectionately calls her. Which is accurate because Marissa Tomei is gorgeous still. Um, she, you know, I was like, "Oh no, I was wrong." Here we go. But it worked for me. the 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 chemistry between Downey Jr. and Holland was ridiculous. And I, Holland's Peter Parker. He looks young. He acts young. He is young. He's you know in high school still, and you know he was all over the place. And I, and like you said, Sean. It worked for me. Now, we only get a small sample size of everything, including Peter. What I made, my main concern was, not only concern, just seeing Spider-Man fight. And I've avoided every TV spot. I saw a tiny glimpse of when Spider-Man kicks Winter Soldier in a TV spot. And I just, you know, shut my eyes and go, la, 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 you know, really just try to avoid everything. I did a good job of it. And I, I loved everything about Spider-Man. I mean, it was, and like you, you made a great point, Sean, we've had Spider-Man before and there's great Spider-Man stuff before. I mean, even the previous two films, there's stuff that's not, doesn't work in him, but I still like Andrew Garfield's, uh, his characterization of Spider-Man. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his Peter Parker, but I love his Spider-Man. I thought that was a better Spider-Man than Tom McGuire's ever was. And I think one of the, but one of the things they really got well, was just that he would not shut up. And I just love that. Yeah. That he just would just kept talking and talking and annoyed everybody. Well, like when, when Bucky throws that thing at him, he's like, hey, buddy, I think you lost this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, 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 I lost it. Every time I see – I saw it with this with my brother – and he, my brother, just oh cracked. He almost fell over. He was and laughing then, so hard. Yeah, when he gives the holy shit reaction to Ant-Man becoming giant man, like that was just, holy shit. <laughs> no, it was, oh, it's it was priceless. Perfect. He was, he, the, the, the writing for the character was perfect. And I think that, you know, we know that we have a writer a, 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 with a comedic touch writing the movie which I'm really excited about with, with again, with Marvel's people looking over it and, and doing their thing on it. I'm really excited where they're going. Cause this, this Spider-Man has potential to be the best. Is it the best time will tell. I, I've, I've seen a lot of people say, 
compare this to like a it's like a trailer for the next Spider-Man movie. And, th- and that's accurate. I mean, that really is accurate. This is g- what we're going to get in, in mostly in Spider-Man Homecoming. And it's it's fantastic. And I think that I, one of the main things that I think that really gives you um, an idea or just get, get, people really like the character or latch on to Spider-Man specifically is the emotion you can see with his eyes. Mm-hmm. I think that's really... I just because I think one of the main problems with Spider-Man, and I'm again, I'm a broken record. I've said this a, a lot in previous episodes. With any superhero that covers his whole face, it's hard to get that emotion. Yeah, and I think that one of the main problems that Tobey Maguire had, I don't think Andrew Garfield had a, a problem with it as much. Everyone struggles with it, especially Tobey Maguire. Convey the emotion through physical acting and not using your face. And one of the things they did. With the whole eye movement, and again, one of the benefits of having Stark, you know, make the costume, is the fact that you can have the emotion with his eyes, and he can like squint and get in big, and you know, and and move him around, so you get that sense of surprise or anger or, or whatever. I mean, and like there's a sp- there's a part where again, a, a shout out to John Beerley, he he pointed out to me, I didn't even realize it, that his spider sense went off. Yeah, and his eyes get really big. <laughs> when, when, that's when he throws when Winter Soldier throws a car at him, and I'll never forget. Like I. I, I didn't even I missed it and John's like yeah they don't even explain it they don't have like yeah. him like do no, some weird just thing because his eyes get all big and that's it yeah and no exactly and it was so perfect because like his eyes are like normal and also they get really really big and I think that to me is what's going to give the Spider-Man the extra oomph is that you have a great young actor in Tom Holland you have clever writing but we get to have see Spider-Man have emotion a little bit in his face and I think that just makes him even more just fun to listen to i mean i don't know the the entire time he's on screen the whole airport scene obviously is incredible and i think that spider-man is just a, is just the ultimate gummy bear on top because i love gummy bears so it, it's just like the best gummy bear of all time basically um I, I i love it everything there's nothing i can say bad about it I mean, this, the costume, the only nitpick I would say is the costume. Why not just go through the 100% the original costume? I mean, it pretty much is, except for a couple lines are, you know, integrating different areas, and that's it. And not even the crotch area, Sean. So, I mean... Yeah, I, was just, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, but but here's the thing. I, I just, I loved it. I have, I have zero problems with it now. Even with the whole Tony Stark thing, I'm I'm 100 fine with being wrong because it worked. So I can't wait for more. I thought that it made particularly in regards to Tony Stark making his costume, it made sense to me because he did that in the main series or, and in the stuff surrounding the main series. So um, you know, I can see, you know the. It, it, you could make an argument that it minimizes Peter's ingenuity if he didn't make his costume, but they covered that because you saw he made the web shooters, and right. Tony complimented him on the tensile strength of the webs. And I thought that that was a nice touch. Uh, and, you know, you guys are absolutely right, Sean. You're, you're got it right out of the park when you're talking about the costumes in the previous movies. I mean... It could have been something that was memorable in the original film. I mean, you saw him make the wrestling costume, and mm-hmm. then you know a little while later, after his sketches, he's got the traditional Spider-Man costume, and it's like, wait, where's the transition point here? How right. did that, that? That was a story in and of itself that they didn't decide to explore, nor did they do that in in the Amazing Spider-Man either of them. 
So, but as far as the character is concerned, uh, this was shocking to me just because they seem to get uh, pretty much every tenet of Spider-Man as I understand him to be from uh, some of his most definitive stories, particularly the first hundred issues of Amazing that were written by Stan Lee. They translated that stuff very, very well. And uh, I mean, the playfulness of youth is something that Spider-Man had in those early stories. And he maintains it up until today to a point but, um, you know, early Spider-Man has not endured much of the loss that he would later. I mean, he's still grounded by the loss of his Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. And there's still a little bit of a question mark surrounding exactly how that went down in the MCU. And, I, I mean, if, uh, if Marissa Tomei is Aunt May, then uh, who's Uncle Ben? George is Costanza. It Fabio? No, it's George Costanza. <laughs> oh, Somebody already tweeted that, and it's 100% right. I saw that, too. I saw that, too. <laughs> It's either George Costanza or it's Fabio. Yeah. I mean, or, or it's Joe Pesci from my cousin Vinny. Yeah. Or it's or it's Mickey Rourke. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> Stop whiplash. it. Beer. Beer. <laughs> oh God. Oh, oh now I'm getting flashbacks. Uh, I know. <laughs> but, Would Mickey Rourke do something? <laughs> well, just from, wrestler, just from the wrestler. Anyway. Oh, my fault. <laughs> But either way, I mean, every second that Peter was on screen was captivating in the same way that I was cheering when Mark Ruffalo was uncomfortably shifting on the helicarrier in the Avengers. Mm -hmm. I was very happy that Peter was kind of a geek and um, the connection with Tony Stark made say it was convenient. Sure. And overall, you could probably make an argument that Spider-Man was tacked on to this movie. But what a hell of a tack. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yep. that his inclusion really helps to elevate the feeling, like I was alluding to at the top of the show, the feeling of the big epic crossover event, um, including Spider-Man, just emphasizes not only how big of a character he is, even though the space that he occupies in the world is a little bit lower on the totem pole than many of these other bigger quote-unquote characters, but, um, I mean, he was definitely a main event attraction. And, uh, and I liked, too, that he had, I think one of the things that Tony recognized in watching over Spider-Man was the moral certitude that he had. Because uh, when, when he has that little bit of dialogue with Captain America, he tells Cap directly why he's fighting with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the fact that Peter believes that uh, I think says a lot about the character that he has, not not the fictional standing as a fictional character. I'm talking about his own personal character mm-hmm. uh, because he's presented with the idea that Captain America can be very dangerous if he's devoted to something that may not necessarily be 100% right. And one area that Spider-Man has always excelled when I've read Spider-Man stories is the fact that even though – he himself probably looks to Captain America as a moral beacon. He's too modest to understand just how uh, right his own judgment usually is. And I think that this movie alludes to something like that down the road. Of course, we don't know for sure. That's just a guess on my part. But, I mean, I've always loved the fact 
that Spider-Man's place in the Marvel Universe at large is one that is more akin to, uh, at least as far as the universe-wide stuff is concerned, he kind of imposes the role of spectator on himself, and of course mm-hmm. he inserts himself into situations that he knows he can make a difference in, which Tom Holland's dialogue fully exemplified. Yep. If the bad stuff happens and you don't do anything to stop it, then the bad stuff is your fault. Mm-hmm. And that's with great power comes great responsibility without actually saying those words. Yeah. Infinitely that, better also, than the way Martin Sheen portrayed yeah. those words in the first day of Yeah, movie. much more succinct. But that also is an allusion to Uncle Ben dying. You yeah. Know, you know, yeah. So I think it covered, you know, it covered a lot of bases much more eloquently because um, it would have – Peter should not have told Tony Stark with great power comes great responsibility. Like, no, no, no. So no, they no. found a they found a great way to include that. And there's going to be a couple other big sequences that I want to get through before we wrap up. But Katie, before we exit Spider Man, how did you like him? I'm going to say something that's going to make Paul happy. It is definitely my favorite version of Spider Man to date. Awesome. Surprisingly oh. enough. It is. It's it's more like the like as we were saying with you know he the he's not in the movie for very long and I feel like people are walking away excited for him and forgetting that because of him the rest of us are some kind of losing some things that we were excited for because even though Spider-Man is done right it doesn't mean I'm not excited for him you know things that I was hopeful for are being pushed back but I did like him. Um, I liked. I I thought that he brought much needed humor to the film at the right moment. Mm. Like that was very well timed. Yeah. But you know, like you did need that. You needed him, and like as you guys were saying, the commentary that he offers on situations mm-hmm. and kind of that like bystander. Like you just that was very much needed for the airport scene it helped it it helped the flow because otherwise i think it would have almost been too long maybe if it had didn't have that to kind of break it up a little bit so that's no that's totally fair you know because i i think the airport scene you know obviously it's it's the big set piece of the entire film it is the the promise of the civil war the heroes fighting each other and you know i liked that you know, I really love that this big spectacle scene had a chance to like, yes, it's, you know, it, it is bad and it's troubling that the heroes are fighting, but there's oper- there are still op- these people just kind of have their, they still have their natural personalities. And so for some of them, that includes things being funny. But when you really, if, when you really break down that scene, the people who spend, you know, the people who have like the funniest lines and the people who spend the most time saying funny things are Spider-Man and Ant-Man, the two characters who have the least amount of an emo- the least emotional investment in this fight right now. Both of them are very much outsiders. They are bo- each of them is a brand new recruit to their respective team. Scott Lang was doing his own thing in his own world with, you know, with Hank Pym uh and with uh Hope Van Dyne, like that was it. Like he has his own thing going on. Spider-Man has obviously just been in his own little world, uh, you know, only, you know, active in this whole place, this whole thing for six months. They're not in all this stuff. Like they haven't been out being part of the Avengers and they, they are not part of, you know, they were not party to these catastrophic incidents in which so many lives were lost. Like that's not, they weren't party to that. So they don't have, they don't have all of that weighing on them the same way that the Avengers do. And I think that's what was so key in the airport sequence is like, you can't, 
that sequence needed to be more lively and it needed to have balance. Like, you know, you have big action and spectacle and you have, you know, there are moments that there, there are genuinely emotional moments in that sequence. You know, you have, uh, uh, I mean, the, the line that starts it off. I mean, when Tony says, I'm trying to keep you from the, from ripping, from tearing the Avengers apart. And then cap says back to him, you know, you did that the moment you signed like that crushed me, you know, just seeing those two guys saying those things to each other, but then being able to break that up with, you know, some, uh, some humor and some levity. And you also needed that in this sequence because, you know, there is a, you know, then they have a fight later that just, that's between Tony cap and Bucky. And that's, there's no levity in that at all. Like that's all pure emotion. And, you know, that is, you know, rage and anger and frustration, everything just boiling over to that point. So when you know that you have that fight, that's going to be super emotionally charged later in the film, you know, this big one needed to have uh, more balance to it, just like, you know, throughout the rest of the movie, like there's very you know sad and, and poignant things being said. And at the same time, there's, you know, these people are who they are. And that leads, you know, for them to be, you know, opportunities at, at humor. And I think that's kind of, you know, and my kind of theory with the whole thing with the airport sequence anyway is, you know, when, like when Black Widow says to Hawkeye, like, we're still we're still friends, right? He says, depends on how hard you hit me. You hear, and they say it, and again in the dialogue, like everybody's kind of accusing everybody of pulling punches. Like you know, we're going a little easy on them, and now we we need to stop doing that. And I think that's kind of what that that's also what the the humor was about. I think all these characters were having a really hard time coping with the fact that they were in a fight with each other, like that this that they were having this full on fight, and you know that was a difficult thing for them to go through. And I think to kind of cope with that, to kind of deal with that, that's where some of like the sense of humor was incorporated. But like I said. Most of the humor comes from Scott Lang and Peter Parker, the two characters who have the least invested out of anybody there. So it kind of makes sense that it comes from them. But then I don't want to just, you know, I, I don't want to skirt the spectacle because we haven't talked about it. But that airport sequence, it's the greatest comic book movie action sequence ever. I mean, I, I didn't know that anything could really top the Battle of New York in the first Avengers film. Uh, but this one did for me. And, you know, obviously Spider-Man was a huge part of that. And then, you know, when Scott Lang becomes giant man, like I, that, I mean, what a moment that was. I, it's just, it's, it's the kinds of, it's all the kinds of things that like, it would have felt greedy to even ask for that as a kid to one day see stuff like that in a movie. Uh, because, uh, you know, we were the generation that grew up where like, you know, the superhero movies, there was Superman and Batman and then some really crappy stuff like there was, you know, the Phantom. Yeah. Yeah, even that was you know that that, was that doesn't terrible. that doesn't even qualify as the crappy stuff. So like <laughs> you know because there was there was stuff that was much crappier than that uh, in the '90s. So you know like I would have just been content to get like you know like I thought we had arrived when we were getting X Men movies and Spider Man movies. Like uh, you know I was like oh okay like we finally got there and it's like nope uh, <laughs> there was still so much farther uh, that we could go and we've you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe just continues to take us farther and farther. Um, but that airport sequence was, it was something else. I mean, I, I love it. It is such a thrill ride, uh, from start to finish every, you know, there's not a wasted moment in any of that sequence for me. It is all great. All the characters get to do a good job using their powers to, you know, contribute to the storytelling and contribute to the action and make it all, you know, each, all these little, what if fights between these different uh, heroes, you know, the way their powers match up with each other. It was just it was great. I mean, I, I really loved it. And then, you know, and then it ends on, you know, a note that it had to, like, at some point, like, this has to go over the line. And, you know, and you, you end up in a situation where, you know, when 
Vision is kind of distracted as he's helping out Scarlet Witch. He misses the call to initially help with Falcon. And, and the truth is he never should have fired from that bolt from the Mind Stone. That's not what he should have done. He should have taken off flying and just caught uh, Sam Wilson. He never should have fired. Um, and he knew that he was distracted, and he admits that you know later in the film. And it ends up uh, you know causing uh, Rhodey to be paralyzed to where now the only reason he can walk is because of these leg braces that Tony Stark has built for him. Um, and I mean, that shot when, you know, when Rhodey falls and you see Falcon and Iron Man coming in from the sides and you just know they're not going to catch him. And then that huge thud that you hear when War Machine hits the ground. I mean, it, the ga- I mean, every time I've seen the movie, like the the gasp that you get, you know, the collective gasp from the audience is just so loud because it's such a, you know, there's something very, you know, real and very physical about that moment. And I think that's where you show you know, the stakes of it, the emotional stakes throughout the film are very clearly defined, but then just the physical stakes of somebody's going to get seriously hurt as a result of all these enhanced people or people with very, you know, highly enhanced equipment uh, coming together and fighting like this is going to end badly. And it does, um, you know, and I, I think that was so I, I think they played it. Uh, I think they played it beautifully. I mean, it had a chance to be big and fun and spectacular. Um, but it also had a chance to be, you know, highly emotional and tragic. I mean, I, it's just uh, how they weaved all that together um, and the Russo, you know, in the script and then with the Russos balancing that with the directing. I, I mean, I, I just I can't even really tell exact. I can kind of think in my head of how they did it. But then just the way I I still can't fathom them actually piecing that together as they were, you know, shooting this scene and then cutting it together in the edit room. Um, it's just, you know, that's movie magic for me. It, it, yeah, it was the culmination of, I think, everything we've been waiting for, right? Like, it, everybody was fighting everybody. You got to see pretty much everything you wanted. Um, the giant man scene was awesome. Just the evil laugh that Scott lets out. He just, And, like, the leading up to it where he's like, this oh is going to be so cool. I've got it. And he's like, one time. Yeah. And I didn't. I passed out. He, like, yeah, he actually has my favorite. Uh, he actually has my favorite line of the whole movie, which is like after he's. Uh, this is before the giant man thing when he was hiding on Cap's shield and he gets it back from Spider Man. I believe this is yours, Captain America. Like just oh. how proud he is in his voice that oh. he's on Team Cap <laughs> and that he just handed Captain America his shield. Just it kills me. It is so funny. It kills the audience too because every time I watch it, people are dying. And yeah. by the way, Ant Man. When I, the second time I saw the film, people, multiple people and multiple ladies, younger ladies, were like, oh, it's Ant-Man, it's Ant-Man, it's Ant-Man. Like, yeah. multiple. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, Ant-Man's left his mark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm yeah, very excited about that. Paul have... Rudd's a good-looking man. I can well, say it. But no, but he would but, he is. But no, but I mean, like, when he shows up, like, in his Ant-Man costume, right. like, oh, it's yeah. Ant-Man. Like, they, yeah. that's when they, they, I think they were saying something. Sure. And, and I actually would say that ant-man almost stole the show from spider-man because he was hilarious i mean he the when he throws when he has like the water truck scene right oh god he throws it he goes i thought it was a water truck truck. (laughs) oh my god and then like and he goes your shield captain america you know like i mean oh my god it's it's or envision goes through him something just flew in me (laughs) (laughs) no he he almost stole the show from spider-man it was those two together was incredible. That's the I mean, thing. It's like I can't even call Spider Man the show stealer because he did great, but everybody else in this movie is so good. Like even uh, Chadwick Boseman, who was like my favorite 
new addition to uh, to the to this whole thing in the movie. Um, like nobody had the chance to really steal the show in this because everybody was so good. There was a brisk pace and shifting between characters too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so much so that, well, surprisingly, it never got distracting in a weird way um but it shifted enough between each of them so many different times that you really do feel like yeah i mean there were definite main characters but it seems like everybody got at least part of their due Mm -hmm. and uh and that's one of the reasons that i do like this movie so much because it's kind of a master class in character juggling i guess well put but Overall, I mean, if we're going to start wrapping this up, then... Oh, no, we have one more big thing to go to before oh, okay. we wrap right. up. <laughs> well, never mind. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump to it then. Because um, so, uh, we're already almost at like two hours, so we're, all, we're, we're getting close to like beating the length of the movie. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about, man. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll do a whole... You know, we normally do Q&A shows anyway, so we'll definitely do a Q&A episode for this movie um, where we'll get your questions out there for those of you listening and we'll talk about that as well as you know the future ramifications that this film uh can have but i mean that final sequence um i wasn't shocked to find out that uh bucky killed uh tony's parents um i think they kind of made that fairly clear that steve found out about it in winter soldier um and you you can Mm -hmm. see where steve finds out about it in winter soldier even though it's not uh it's not definite it's what makes steve's line honest when he says I wasn't sure it was him because right in that sequence, he's shown pictures of the winter soldier as Zola talks about crossing off threats to Hydra. And then it's a picture of Howard Stark and a a picture of a newspaper clipping of the accident. So it's very strongly implied that the winter soldier assassinated, uh, you know, Howard Stark, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's not, it's not explicitly said to Steve. So that's why he kind of can plausibly say, I didn't, wasn't sure it was him. And then Tony says, no, don't bullshit me. Did you know? And of course, deep down, Steve didn't want to admit it, but yes, he knew, uh, he knew what he saw, uh, when he was there with uh, Zola and he knew exactly what it meant. Um, so it wasn't really about the surprise. And really, if you're paying attention throughout the film, they're clearly setting that up. I mean, they even do the rule of three. They go to that accident three times, um, you know, yeah. just showing a little bit more each time. And, and obviously that's the direction it's going. The point really to me is not that it's supposed to be shocking. The point to me is that you are watching Tony Stark having to watch his parents be murdered. Oh, and they're happening to be murdered by the best friend of one of Tony's friends in uh, Steve Rogers. And then, you know, of course, Bucky committing the murder. Um, and we know, you know, Tony, the, the death of his parents is something it's not like, you know, th- this is something that only haunted him in this film. Like it's been brought up and it's been kind of a thing, uh, even in the first Iron Man film. when he says, like, I never got to say goodbye to my father. Like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, this is something that has weighed on Tony throughout his time in the MCU. So, you know, that's where and again, when I just talk about the balance of the movie where you had the more fun uh, airport fight, this is just the heavy emotional. There's no. There's no room for for humor in this, and this is where again, like just the emo- everything being earned. Like you can see in this moment that even though Tony, like you know, if he had time to think about it, maybe he would uh, be more sympathetic to the fact that Bucky was not really in control of himself uh, when he committed these acts as the Winter Soldier. Um, but at the end of the day, like when you just watch a video of somebody murdering your parents, it's kind of hard to you know, not be enraged by that and not feel like you need to exact uh, immediate revenge on that. So, and, and to be, 
and obviously it just breaks Tony's heart that, you know, Steve Rogers knew about this and didn't tell him and, and, you know, and kept it from him. So you just see, I mean, this is where Downey, I mean, and I brought up more stuff with Iron Man in this movie, you know, earlier in the discussion, but just overall, this is Downey's best performance, I think in the MCU. And he's given good ones throughout his whole time there, but this is the best one for me because like just the range, the depth that he goes to in this performance, like, his heart breaks on his face. Like you see it on his face. Like, you know, his entire world is shattered when he sees this, you know, and it, and it is this like a double punch, you know, it is a double punch to the gut. The first one is seeing his parents murder. The second is finding out that Steve knew, uh, and hadn't told him and his reaction to it. It's great. And then the, the fight there, it is raw. It is gritty. It is emotional. It is just, it, it's all about, you know, the rage in that scene. And so, you know, it's not as stylized as the fight, uh, you know, from earlier in the film. Like it's, it really has, you know, much more uh, straightforward, more visceral uh, approach to it. And the Russos do a great job. And I just love the way that even just the mechanics of the fight, the way that, uh, you know, the, the way that the Iron Man armor is just slowly broken down, which is what gives Steve the opportunity to ultimately, you know, win the fight. Not that, you know, not that he's really happy to have had that fight at all. You know, just from early on, from using his shield to smash, you know, one of the, you know, the one of the repulsors in uh, Tony's boot, like that impacts his ability to fly. Slowly but surely, the uh, you know the suit is kind of broken down, and just even you know you get a great line from Bucky. This is where again, like this movie does such a great job, you know, checking in with everybody emotionally. Is when you know Tony grabs him and he says, you know, do you even remember you know what you did to them? And he says, I remember all of them, and that just brings everything yeah. to bear on on what Bucky's been through and, and what's weighing on him. And it's it's just so powerful in that. And then you, I mean, and it just gets more and more intense. And you just, you know, even the scene is powerful. So you don't, I mean, you don't want it to end because the scene is bad. The scene is freaking great, but you just want it to be over because you don't want these guys to be fighting. You don't, you know, this needs to stop before, you know, before it goes too far. And, you know, you get the huge dramatic moment of Tony blowing off uh, Bucky's uh, bionic arm. But then, man, that last, you know, those last moments of Iron Man and Cap going toe to toe and they're bloodied, they're beaten. And to the point where you get to, the, you know, the the big uh, the big finish of, you know, Cap raises the shield up in the air and Tony covers his face like he thinks, you know, he thinks Steve's about to kill him. Uh, and Steve, you know, just crashes it down right on the center of the suit, right on the arc reactor so that, you know, Tony is, you know, removed from the ability to really fight back. It's, I mean, start to finish that scene is played out perfectly. Just like I said, the mechanics of the fight, which, you know, is, is secondary, but still they paid the great attention to detail on, on putting all that together. Um, but then just the, the emotion of it is just, it is so powerful. And that's the kind of thing where um, I know like at the end, like Tony gets the letter from Steve and, you know, and it, and it shows that maybe, you know, they can get back on the same page one day. But, uh, you know, you know that their relationship is never the same after this. And I think that's the thing that I take away from Civil War is that, you know, when you go through something like this, even if you might be able to forgive, you can never forget uh, something that's this heavy. And it is the kind of thing that could, you know, rear its head at, at any point in time and get brought back up. So, I mean, I, I think that's where, you know, this just totally won for me in Civil War. I mean, it was already a winning movie for me. 
Um, but uh, that finish, it, it was just something extraordinary, just in terms of the acting, the action, and just and the writing, you know, the writing behind it and the directing of it. Everything about that works, e- even though it's you know, it, in many ways, it's painful, um, and yet it's you know, it's it's worth enduring because it, it's you know, such a good scene. I think, and I'll make it quick on this because I'll just add that. The end was perfect in a sense that, like you said, Sean, it was very emotional. I think one of the things that the Marvel haters love to always point out is that there's always these funny things, whatever. And the one difference with this one is that there is no joking around whatsoever once the reveal is made of Bucky and what he did to Tony's parents. And once that happens, it's full on just dark and just emotional and that there's nothing there that you know there's no there's no com- comedy or it's all 100% serious and and just i think people i hope those people can acknowledge the fact that like marvel is is did this and it's it's heavy man like you can't ignore the fact that like you know what's going on here just like when 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 tony says you know so was i and when when responding oh, to yeah. Steve, you know he was my friend you know, t- there's even more impact what Tony says now be- in that context because we know He's now the one that- who put it in past tense. It, it, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's it's and I think that to me is what makes this movie just over the hill better than maybe I don't know where it is in my ex- my in my you know where exactly it is, but it, this is why it puts it up there as one of the best superhero movies ever made. Is that again with Zemo manipulating all these things behind the scenes. You have these these three people, and these this friendship is now deteriorated because of one other friendship's loyalty. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately that it's a really powerful thing that Steve is sacrificing his relationship with, you know, Tony for Bucky, and that's even more devastating. It's, it's that's another devastating mm-hmm. thing for Tony too. Too, he's like not he's he's one defending the the guy who killed his parents, but. He's losing his friend. And I think that in that moment, it's it's so it's hard to watch, to be honest. Like, you know, I I have proclaimed on the show before that I love watching heroes fight. Well, it's funny because this was hard for me to watch because you just know it. it's this is not just a stupid misunderstanding of which Marvel Comics and DC Comics nah, both of this been. is a friendship crumbling right in front it, of you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know. It, it's, it was hard for me to watch in, in that sense. And I was like, ugh, it's just gut-wrenching. And again, when it even got to the low point where when, when as he's walking away, as, as Cap and, oh, God, and, and yeah. Winter Soldier are walking away, and he said, that shield doesn't belong to you. You know, my father made that shield. You know, it doesn't belong to you. And I love, and I mentioned this before in the show earlier, that when Cap just has no hesitation, he just looks at him, throws it to him like, doesn't even care. Well, no, he does uh, though. Like that's the thing is, like, I, see, he actually wasn't like. If you look at like watch Evan's performance and like this is what was so brilliant about it is like the first thing he says is like you know that shield doesn't belong to you. Cap keeps walking with the shield. You don't deserve it. Cap's still walking with the shield. Then he says, "My father made that shield," and that's when Evans lifts his head up, and that's when he knows like Tony's right. Like. Howard made this shield and I have protected the man. I am protect I am making the choice to protect the man who killed Howard and you know that is uh, despite whatever like I think all this is going through Cap's mind right there. At least that's what I'm interpreting from Evan's performance mm. is like he's finally he's realizing that like regardless of the fact that Bucky was not in control at that moment, 
he is the guy who killed Howard, who murdered Howard Stark. And I am, not, you know, and I have, I am helping him, you know, not necessarily answer for that in a way that maybe he needs to. I'm making a choice to defend him. Uh, and in some way, that is a betrayal of Howard Stark, who was also a friend of Steve Rogers. And that's when he drops the shield because it wasn't he, he didn't care that Tony said the shield doesn't belong. He doesn't that it doesn't belong to him or that he doesn't deserve it. As soon as he talk, you know, brings up Howard Stark, that's when Cap goes, oh, yeah. And he drops it like, but then know, he goes it, to Wakanda. So they have plenty of vibrating vibrating. Yeah, he'll, get so, another, he'll get another shield. But and, that, and that's my I guess my thing is. I think that because he knew what Tony was, I think to me it was, I interpreted it like Tony kept trying to dig at him Mm. to try to make him feel guilty as he walked away with this, you know, from this fight. And, and, and it was his demonstration to Tony, like, this means nothing to me. No, no, I don't think so. I think it meant, I think that shield means a lot to Cap. I mean, he even said, no, he even says like earlier in the film, like, I'm not going to get that shield back, am I? Like the, the, the shield means something to Cap. And I think what that moment was is, you know, he felt he felt like Tony had a point, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, what? maybe I don't, I don't deserve it because the guy who made the, the guy who made this for me, you know, was murdered by my best friend. And here I am walking my best friend out of here. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's what it was to me. Yeah. Well, and, and like I said, in the comic books, Cap has no problem dropping the shield for any, for any reason he feels convicted for. So that's why I interpret it that way. So, mm-hmm. I mean. Either way, I, it, to me, that's the way I interpret it. And the, and the emotional impact for me when he did that was yeah. was awesome. I think the the emotional journey of Bucky through these movies has been done so well. And I think, like, I know it's about Iron Man and Captain America, but I think that, like, Bucky holds so much guilt for everything that he's done and he's willing to just like sacrifice himself and it's so interesting to me that Cap is like no this is who you are like I forgive you for everything that you did because it wasn't you even Mm. though you can remember it all and I'm willing to lay my friendship on the line with Iron Man yeah to protect us like I don't know that's just it it's done so well and obviously you guys all know I could talk about Bucky all day. So, <laughs> but he holds I'll keep him, it short. Yeah. But Bucky does, but you're right. I mean, Bucky holds himself accountable, like in like his own small way, like, you know, in the, you know, in the mid credit scene in Wakanda, like he's like, look, I'm not, yeah, in, like, I'm not in control and I'm going to admit that. So I need to go back under until we figure out a way to solve that. Yeah, so like this, you're totally right. Like scene... he's, he's willing to hold himself more accountable than his, than Steve will. Yeah, like the scene, the scene with um, Zemo, like saying those words to Mm -hmm. him was done so well. And like the raw emotion that Sebastian, I think, like brought out in that performance, like, no, don't do this. Like, please don't make me do this again. You know, like, yeah, I, I feel like people there's obviously so much to talk about that the underlying story of his journey isn't getting talked about, but he knows that he's obviously done all these really terrible things mm-hmm. and he knew Howard Stark. Like yeah. you, there's that moment where Howard says like, yeah. Oh, Sergeant, Sergeant Barnes. Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Like, so imagine somebody controlling you and telling you to go kill someone. And you're just like powerless to stop yourself yeah. from doing that. Well, that look and on then, his face when the video starts playing, like he knows what's coming and you just see yeah. like the shame on his face knowing, you know, what he, what everybody's about to see. Yeah. yeah. 
he and he did such i mean like he does like i think that he has done such a good job with playing all of these emotions because really he's not given a lot of actual like words to you know to convey no. these emotions like most of the time he's either speaking another language <laughs> he's wearing a mask <laughs> you know i mean like he's just been doing this visual performance and he's done a really good job with it but you're like from the comics perspective too if you've read any of the comics that is something that he struggles with a lot and he's always talking like i have all this kind of like a black widow thing right like he wants mm-hmm. to legitimize himself and and become something more and work to to right the wrongs of his past and so i think when iron man and kind of this idea that this is part of why they're fighting and and everything and there's that moment where it looks like it's all going to come together mm-hmm. you know like iron man's like you're right bucky you know it wasn't him i'm on your side now and then he finds out what bucky did and bucky's willing to be like you're right like i'll walk away i'm mm-hmm. not worth it and for captain america to say no you are and then for them to have that final battle, I think just carries so much more emotional weight. And, you know, even at the end, like by the end of it, obviously, you know, Witcher soldiers over on the floor, he's lost his arm. Like (laughs) he can't do anything anymore at this point. Um, But when you see that final moment where he picks the shield up and he looks like, you know, he's going to kill captain America or kill Iron Man for a second. There's just so much emotion going on. Yeah. And, yeah, it's going to be – I think it's interesting that technically there's not really a lot of resolution to this movie. No, like we're kind but of there, left... there can't be. Right, but like we don't know – I mean really the only person we know – like we know Winter Soldier <laughs> – yeah. has like you said in the mid credit scene you know he says i am not responsible for myself and until we can figure something out this is my best course of action mm-hmm. and everybody else it's kind of up in the air as to how they're going like what's going to bring them back together and how are they going to work it out cuz obviously you're going to have some big stuff to work through yeah. especially if at this point I'm thinking, I said this to Paul earlier, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a little bit of Winter Soldier in the Black Panther movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, there's going to be a right. threat. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to give somebody, a re- that's a motive for somebody to go into Wakanda and start causing trouble. Right. So, I mean, that's definitely. So, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see, like, what happens in Black Panther and then how how does that tie back into this, like, cat, like how is Iron Man going to handle, how is Tony going to handle all of this? Because he's got a lot of emotional weight tied to that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like at the end, it's like, yes, he is kind of, you know, you see him, you know, kind of accepting some of the stuff that Steve is saying in in the letter, but that doesn't make, that doesn't make everything all better, you know? And I think it is going to be interesting to see how everything goes. I mean, and that's the thing, like the resolution in this film is that a lot of stuff's just torn apart. Like the Avengers are split in half. Half of them are now fugitives. Um, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, pretty much all fugitives. Pretty much. Yeah. Like the only one who, who are not are what Tony vision and, uh, let's see. Well, cause black widow was on team Iron Man, but she's a fugitive. Like black Panther isn't technically an Avenger. So, I mean, you got Tony war machine and vision. I think Wanda's probably going to call up vision. I'm just saying, Yeah. you know, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, probably. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, they, in terms of the stakes, like, there were real stakes here, and there's a real impact to what happened here. But uh, before we uh, throw our final thoughts out, Chris, what did you think of uh, what did you think of the final scene? Well, uh, I think over the years I've made my position on the Winter Soldier pretty clear, both the story that he first showed up in and the character at large. And um, one of the things that I was very happy with in the movie before actually getting into the specifics of the ending is that it made him regretful and it gave him a level of angst without actually being mopey. Uh, Because, I mean, I certainly didn't get the impression that he was uh, so devastated by the things that he'd done that it had paralyzed him from doing anything other than fighting alongside his best friend. So that was really satisfying to me. As for the revelation, well, first of all, I'm really happy that we got a scene between John Slattery and Robert Downey Jr. I think that yes. was awesome. Even though, uh, as my girlfriend pointed out, fiance pointed out, it's kind of approached the uncanny valley as far as the uh, youth youthizing of yeah. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean having that sort of feed what the overall intent of the conclusion was was a very good thing and i mean the revelation itself wasn't particularly surprising it did click a few things into place as soon as it happened uh, but it made perfect sense and um one of the things that i really like about the movie overall as as you guys alluded to before is the performance of robert downey jr as iron man because I mean, I'm the guy who's still holding on to the promise by Jon Favreau of getting an Iron Man movie where he goes through some Robert Oppenheimer-style guilt as the destroyer of worlds, quote-unquote. And we're getting much closer to that with the overall characterization of Iron Man because he's experiencing guilt for the things that he's done, particularly with the creation of Ultron. And the fact that we do get... Not an entirely, of course, because it probably shouldn't be, but a more um, forthright and slightly serious take on who the character is and what his place is in the universe was immensely satisfying to me. And you needed to do that in this movie out of all of them in particular. Um, as for the actual final scene itself, I mean, I remember going into it when, you know, the previews thinking, Okay, so we haven't seen them actually do that shield handoff between mm -hmm. Cap and Bucky, so something's going to get messed up here. And when it happened, everything made such perfect sense. And the actual fight was definitely an emotional one because you are seeing a crumbling friendship. You're seeing something that has been given pretty direct service for the last four years start to disintegrate in front of you. And um, even just going off of the way these characters interact with each other in the movies, um, that's very that's quite a roller coaster. But then when you also insert uh, the emotional elements that we're all familiar with from the source material, both uh, before and after the comic book event of Civil War, it it helps to add an extra weight to it that the uninitiated might not have. Mm -hmm. um, Particularly as it pertains to the uh, the confession one shot, I thought that was a great representation of the relationship between Tony and Steve. And this scene acted very similarly to the uh, the end of that one shot. I thought uh, there wasn't the sense of defeated uh, emotions that one side had over the other, 
but they just kind of had to lay down arms. And of course, Cap, quote unquote, won the fight, but you don't feel that he uh, takes any pride no. in that victory. No. You know, nor should he. Uh, you wouldn't expect that from Steve Rogers. But it was a great interaction between them, even if it did have uh, have them coming to blows for a great amount of it. And it needed to be moving, and it really was. If you're invested in the characters, then I have a hard time seeing how you could not be just completely engaged and sucked in by what they're saying to each other and what they're doing to each other. Yeah. And um, beyond all of those things... It really was a demonstration of how this continuity is so streamlined and so effective at connecting the dots. Um, you know, a lot of comic book fans get hung up on continuity a lot of times, but there are also those special stories that make it all worthwhile by clicking everything into place so that when you do have a frame of reference for something that's happened before, you do get a payoff. And I definitely felt that the final moments of this movie helped to illustrate that beyond the already interesting element of Zemo orchestrating the entire thing. So this very much was the culmination of that big crossover style story. Uh, and it did just the right thing. It, it really takes you on a roller coaster. And the airport scene is the highest point of that roller coaster. But then it did something very wise by just focusing you in on the core conflict mm -hmm. between Captain America and Iron Man, really making for a shockingly intimate moment mm -hmm. that uh, that you might not expect from a movie of this size or scale. So I was very satisfied with the way that it ended and also kind of charmed by the fact that it's it's a superhero movie where really the villain wins. Yeah. And we haven't really gotten a lot of that particularly from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but by going there in addition to all of the other elements that make this movie so unique and so big and so spectacular, it went into a fundamentally different place by the conclusion to make it stand apart from the pack beyond the fact that it's it's such a wild and crazy crossover. So by ending on an intimate moment, it really does help to elevate it to a level within the top tier of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, in my opinion. Yeah, completely agree. So uh, let's get to our, our closing thoughts. Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Your, your parting shots on Civil War. Before, I mean, we're obviously going to spend a lot more time talking about this movie, but for the purposes of this review, uh, your, your final thoughts. You know, my final thoughts is this. It's, it was a, a, an amazing experience, and I, I knew I was, I was going to love the film. I really love the film. It's, you know, I need to see it more. I want to keep seeing it more. Uh, well, you know, it, it, it's great. I, I can't wait to talk about it more. I know me and you, Sean, we're going to be talking about this movie for a long time, I think. Rightfully so. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's amazing. I really have my nitpicks are it's just so small. It's not even worth even discussing practically. So, um, yeah, I think it's an incredible film. Yeah. Katie? I love this film. Um, it definitely raised the bar for other superhero film so it's mm. going to be interesting to go back now and see what they're going to do but I think as we kind of discussed I'm really excited to see some of the solo films especially Black Panther 
I can't wait to see how they do that and bring that into it all. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. It was a good film. Very well done. And Chris? It was what it needed to be. It was a, um, like I've said before, a crossover of the highest order. It was a phenomenal introduction to the new players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can't say particularly one or the other because they were both so effective in their own ways uh, that it spells very good things for appearances from Black Panther and Spider-Man in the future. Um, the villain of the piece was as unique as I was hoping he would be when considering the wide pantheon of the MCU thus far. And uh, it it gave a interesting, intimate, and um, really rather poignant look at the things that drive Iron Man and the things that drive Captain America, the two biggest heavyweights of the MCU. And um, in that respect, I do still probably lean towards the winter soldier a little bit just on my personal list because uh you know i I think i the the scale of that movie is a little bit closer to um what i enjoy on a maximum level but as far as the movies that throw the entirety of the mcu into the mix i really don't think that there's any question that civil war uh elevates what a marvel cinematic universe crossover can and should be uh, there's a very high bar now for the forthcoming parts of Infinity War, mm-hmm. which we know is going to be titled something different in the future, and um, and and that's a good thing, you know. The uh, the cosmic conflict is always going to be a very different flavor from the more grounded one, as this one was. But as far as the grounded characters of the MCU, well, I mean, in in so far as the main players are concerned, obviously they didn't. Some of these characters didn't spend very much time on the ground. But right. as far as a an Earthbound crossover movie for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think it gets any better than Captain America: Civil War. I don't know that there's been a movie that, just in terms of concept alone, that I would consider more difficult and more challenging to make and to you know, keep all those, all the necessary plates spinning. Uh, I don't know that there's been a, a more challenging movie for anybody to go and make. And, and it's a testament to Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely with the script that they uh, put together for this, uh, Joe and Anthony Russo as the directors, Kevin Feige as the producer, uh, Nate Moore as one of the executive producers who was on this and everybody involved in uh, the making of this film and the actors, of course, I mean, this was a really challenging movie to do. This was, you know, the degree of difficulty on this is, is about as high as it gets uh, because with this, a movie with this many moving parts to it, at any point it could have, any one of those things could have come crashing down and it could have, you know, significantly altered, significantly altered my uh, impression of the film and, and moved it down. Um, any one of those things could have become a significant flaw. And if any, you know, if multiple things came down, then it could have just derailed the entire operation. And that just didn't happen. Uh, this script I felt was airtight, as was the direction. They they really delivered uh, something, tr- what I think is truly special and is going to be, even if, uh, you know, I... As I said at the top of the show, I think this is the best superhero movie that's ever been made, bar none. I, I really do, um, and I can get more into that at, at another time when we're comparing, you know, all these kinds of films. But 
um, you know, I think this is, you know, even if it's not, you know, your own best ever, and I know not, you know, not everybody's going to agree with me on that, but I, I think this is unquestionably a, a landmark moment in the superhero genre and such an, a, a pivotal moment for the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it's moving into phase three. You know, I think you could, you know, last year with Age of Ultron maybe not being quite as good as the first Avengers film and Ant-Man, there were, I loved it. You know, a lot of people loved it, but there were some people who were using kind of Ant-Man and Age of Ultron as an opportunity to maybe call out, uh, you know, Marvel a little bit on maybe on, on being, you know, going a little bit, leaning a little bit too much, too much towards formula. Uh, in those movies, but I think Marvel really showed, just as the Russos did with Winter Soldier, that they could really break new ground and push things in a different direction. I think they went even farther with that, and I think what's so great about it is, you know, you mentioned Chris that in terms of the Earthbound, the more grounded uh, Avengers type, you know, movies that you can have or in crossover events. I think they've shown that they they mastered that with this film, and I think that's what's so great is that now they get to go off and do. They don't have to try and top this uh with a similar film they get to now go off and do something completely different uh with the infinity war films and it just makes me so excited for those films because just knowing the talent that's involved i mean marcus and mcfeely have been here with cap from the very beginning so they have written three of marvel's best movies and when you have uh the russos who have now directed two of Marvel's best movies. Most, you know, a lot of people argue they've made the Marvel's best two movies. Um, and I think when you, when you look at all of that, I mean, it's impossible not to just be out of your mind excited for infinity war, but then with the characters that got introduced and how they got handled in this, of course, I'm excited for black Panther and, and Spider-Man. And I'm even more excited now for Ant-Man, uh, for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, everything about phase three, just knowing that, the, I mean, this is just the beginning of phase three. This isn't like the end of it. This isn't even the culmination. Like this is the starting point for phase three. Uh, so just thinking of how great this film was and how much, you know, happens in this movie and the ramifications that it will have across, you know, these next few years worth of Marvel movies. Um, it's just incredibly exciting. So, um, I really love the ambition of Captain America Civil War. But ambition alone doesn't get it done. You have to go out and execute. And everybody involved with this film uh, did top-notch, the highest level of execution that they could. This is about, for me anyway, for my money, this is about as near-perfect as you get in superhero movies. So I think, obviously think very, very highly of Captain America Civil War. Um, but, and of course, we want to know what you think about the movie, preferably in the form of questions uh, that we can answer next week. So uh, you can always uh, just, if you follow, uh, you, if you follow the show at Marvel Newscast on Twitter, we'll send uh, an update when we're looking for questions to make sure that we can, uh, you guys can send those in uh, on Twitter. Um, but in the meantime, though, while we're waiting to, uh, get your questions in so that you can we can actually answer for the answer them for you on next week's show uh, let's go around and let everybody know where you can keep up with them so chris where can everybody find you you can find me on twitter at chris clow or at comics consoles which is the title of my monthly podcast dedicated to comics based video games we just released issue number six which focuses on the 2005 punisher video game so check it out if you haven't and uh i think that's i think that's pretty much it Cool. Katie, where can everybody find you? They can find me on Twitter at KatieScarlet94. All right. And Paul? You can find me at Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. 
and that's also Blaster Cannon. Uh, with that's Cannon with C A N O N for Star Wars uh, Ramblings. So follow me on there, and uh, we we do a monthly episode. So yeah, that'd be right if you guys uh, check this out. Yeah. On Twitter, you can follow this show at Marvel Newscast. You can also follow SuperheroNews.com at SuperheroNewsCB. And if you want to find me, you can find me at Mr. Sean Gerber on Twitter or over at my website, ModernMythMedia.com. So for Katie, Chris, and Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks, as always, for downloading the show. We'll see you next week for more talk about Marvel's Captain America Civil War. (laughs) 